The night is over. Good. Nice move. Touche. That was good. Alright, one moment. Yes, let's go with prayer requests. Anybody have any prayer requests? JB. Yes, sir. Go ahead. We've been praying for safe travels for me and a bunch of young adults from Forest Hills Mountain View Baptist. We're going to a youth event at the Wildwood School. Amen. Good, good. Let's be praying for that. Anybody else? Prayer requests. Anybody? Alright. I do have one. Yeah. We've got a girl in our. Children's Church, she'll be in our youth next year, but um, she started coming on our buses. Her name's Eva. Um, she's going through a really, really bad home situation right now. Mm-hmm. This past like week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yep, let's be praying for her. Yeah. Anybody else? Can you share your capacity? Can you for what's going on? So we're praying for the youth at Fort Sills as they go. Eva, is that right? Eva. Eva. Um, Eva. All right, anybody else? Uh, Troy? Yeah, Charlie Truth. Yeah, Charlie Truth. Um, going to be tomorrow. And uh, going to be a lot of, a lot of outreaches from uh, from churches. And uh, let's pray that, I mean, it's crazy. At least it uh, seems like, you know, prior to five years ago, this is just my opinion, it seems like prior to five years ago, it was like the big decoration was Christmas and everything. And now within the last five years, like everybody's decorating for Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's so weird to me. Like in the, the things that they decorate are very, you know, almost make me go off the road. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's freaking me out, you know? <laughs> weird. Um, and so as the uh, world kind of spins out for those different things, pray for a lot of churches are doing outreach. And this is a good opportunity. You know, they might go for kids getting candy, uh, but the candy Praying for people who tell them about Jesus is a great thing. Right? And so um, let's be praying for that. Anybody else? Five, four, three, two. Yeah. Evans. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. For Evans uh, family. All right. Great. Anybody else? All right. Let us pray. Okay. All right. Four people listening. Thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for this time we have been able to learn about you and your word. I wish you more work to pray for. Uh, just a few prayer requests for we'll continue with. Uh, pray for Forest Hills, uh, our youth group, and going to an event. I think it's really good in that situation that you would uh, burden their heart for uh, serving you more, Lord. Also, want to pray for all the people that see you well. Uh, they've been at Vision this weekend and probably a lot of other churches as they would use that time to uh, have kids and parents uh, hear your word, Lord, through uh, that event. Also, want to pray for Miss Eva and her home situation. Please be with her in that. Um, that you just give her comfort and peace, Lord, and give her the wisdom to go through that, Lord. Also, I pray for Evan's family. Please be with them throughout that situation. Give Evan's the wisdom to go through that, Lord. So that you request the prayer request, Lord. Also, uh, just pray for this Friday class where we take it to heart and apply what we learn to our daily life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, um, let's go ahead and start. Uh, let me say this reminder to um, all students that you will need to send your notes to Julie. Julie's okay, um, and so please make sure after class that you are sending your notes to Julie if you want to be uh, counted as present for the class, all right? It would stink if you are here and uh, you don't send your notes because you get counted absent. And you don't want to get counted absent for being here, right? That is a total rip off. So, uh, I mean, if you're going to be absent, at least, you know, be doing something fun, 
right? You know, like, <laughs> you only get so many absences, so when you get them, like, use those shot. things, you don't right? Think yeah. That's like, yeah. No, well, it's, it's like, you know, if you get pulled over by the police, they're like, they're going two over. You're like, dude, if you're going to pull me over, at least let me go, like, 20 over, you know? Like, let's just, let's make this one worth it, you know? Um, so, uh, if you're going to be counted absent, make sure it's not because you didn't turn in your notes. Something really simple. All right, so if you have notes and you haven't turned them in lately, talk to Julian and say, could I turn these in or whatever, right? And so please do that. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in class. And uh, Nate, how about this? Um, could you give us an update on your situation? Um, obviously, baby right now, and uh, your goal is to leave in... January 25th. All right. We've been in and we'll be there for five years and look forward to learning Fong Bay and then uh, starting some churches in time. So. All right. Doesn't, you know, saying the word Fong Bay doesn't make you like want to start rapping or something? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's something cool about it. I don't know. It's just different. No. Um, good. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's start off with uh, uh, I'm going to start off and then I'm going to ask Nate, then you can maybe uh, give us some. Some info about what you're going to do right when you get boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start out with something that uh, kind of all of us you might have heard of or you might even know, and uh, it, it's simple. And so I'm going to break it down. Um, could I ask? Could you bring the, um, the easel out or the whiteboard? Oh, sorry. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, chisel and easel. I don't know. It's, um, Josh, tripod. Uh, throughout the whiteboard. Yeah, maybe I couldn't remember what it's called, so I threw out the first thing that came on my mind. Uh, yeah, what's that? Yeah. Okay. What's that? Oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Um, that's fine. If it's not here. Okay, uh, l let's go with it this way. And uh, I'm just going to draw it out so that you can kind of see. And let's talk uh, this morning for a few minutes uh, as we start. Um, I mentioned to you, I'm working on different uh, principles that I think are important in missions. And these are nothing new, especially if you've been around for a while, uh, just kind of uh, laying them out. And this one would be called the funnel principle. And as you know, a funnel, what a funnel is, you know, if you're going to use it maybe to change oil, it starts out the big at the top and it goes towards the spout. The spout is obviously the target area, right? And so on the mission field, you know, as Nate gets ready to arrive in Benin, or as you get ready to, and by the way, there's two different ways that you start as a missionary. There's either you start in a pioneer mode all by yourself, or you start in a team. But either way, you know, maybe say I'm starting in a team my first couple of years, the language, culture, I understand that. But either way, you're going to start, a missionary starts something new. So maybe you start a Sunday school class. Maybe you start a youth group. Maybe you start... Um, it might be the pioneer of the new church. It might be uh, a new church close to the area. Either way, as a missionary, you're going to start something new. So here's the funnel principle. You know, you got it in your mind, and it starts big up top, and it goes down here. I'm going to give you three different ways. The first would be called a crowd. You're going to gather a crowd. Now, in order to gather a crowd, the obvious reason is because nobody can get saved without first hearing, Right? That's Romans chapter number 10. We all know, how shall they believe on whom they have not heard, right? And so, and then obviously goes down, how can they hear without a preacher, right? But um, they have to hear. So, biblically speaking, you can go through, uh, Andrew finds his brother, Simon Peter, right? 
And so Simon Peter may not have known the Messiah if Andrew didn't say, come and see him. We can talk about the John chapter 4, uh, the adulterous woman that Jesus finds, the woman at the well, remember, and says, uh, go find your husband. She's like, well, I don't exactly have one. He said, you got that right. You've had five. The one that you're living with right now is not even. Which, by the way, that's a interesting thing. The one she's living with, which shows us something about marriage. Marriage is a is something that's recognized by God. Marriage is something that's recognized by the government. Because just cohabitating, living with somebody, didn't mean that she was married. Are you following? And so um, the one she was living with, and so she goes out and she calls. Interesting enough, she calls all the men. Hey guys, come in here, somebody who I believe is the Messiah. And all, according to John chapter 4, all these men come. And so, all the, but now they come for the, the lady, you know, because she's called them, but they stay because they hear the Christ, right? And that's the whole goal of the top of the funnel about getting the crowd, getting interest or curiosity. There's going to be a lot of people who come just because they're curious. What's this American doing in my country? Or... What are they, you know, teaching karate lessons or, you know, there's a lot of different things at the top of the funnel. And we'll talk about a couple of those. But the idea is um, we can talk about Zacchaeus or even Levi. Remember, what is it? Uh, Luke chapter number five that Jesus walks by. Levi, he's a tax collector, Matthew. And like, come on, you know, today I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to your house. Levi gets all of his friends and he says, Sit down, pretty much. Sit down. You know, somebody's going to come preach to you. And here comes Jesus. His friends would not have heard if Levi didn't have a big banquet, right? And so the top right here, the top of the funnel is is the crowd. You want to get the crowd so that, because obviously not everybody that hears is going to be saved. Do you agree with that? Um, And we could even go further down. Not everybody that gets saved is going to become a member of the church, right? And not everybody that becomes a member of the church is going to get involved in the church. And everybody that's going to get involved in the church is going to become a, a leader, a teacher, a song leader, you know, whatever it is. And so the more that we have up top means the more that are going to go into the funnel. So we start with the crowd, right? Now let's talk about a couple different um, things that, that get the crowd. So in your area, you want to make as much noise as possible. Every area is different. So uh, represented in our, our, our missionary team, there would be guys who were in very restricted countries, such as China, or very restricted countries, maybe some that um, it wouldn't be as extreme, maybe as China, but they're very restricted. they got to be very careful. Maybe we talk about Nepal, or maybe we talk, there's different countries, different levels, per se, of, of government not wanting them there. But each of them have to some way get the word out or do activities to get the top of the funnel, the crowd. So tell me some of them that you have heard of. What are some of the ways that you can get a big crowd? Okay, a soccer tournament. Marvelous. Great. English classes. English classes. Great. People are like, hey, I love to play soccer. Or, yeah, I would love to learn English. It's uh, for free or there's an American. It's not just, you know, somebody teaching that's from this country. So I would like to. Go ahead, buddy. In terms of restricted countries like China, yeah. English Corner works very well. So in Austin, it's good. Marvelous. Okay. So smaller groups, uh, the English Corner, like uh, smaller groups of, um, you know, people saying, hey, I want to get around you because you know English or you know something, right? Okay. What else? Number three. 
Trunk or treat. We're doing that tomorrow night. And I think that what is the goal of trunk or treat? You always have to remember this. What is my goal doing this? It's to get a crowd so that obviously the target when we come down, the, the target is you want to preach the gospel, right? But you cannot, um, you can't preach the gospel if there's nobody there, right? You know, like, uh, well, I'm just going to preach to my wife today. Like, well, one, she probably preaches better than you. And two, like, I mean, I think she's already saved. So what, like, we need to get a crowd. All right, what other activities? Well, there's a men's meeting. So All right, men's meeting. So we're going to go to Shetz and, and show like a movie or whatever, but it's just like only for men. So it's yeah. like 50 to 100. Just even Muslim lost men, yeah. they show up. But it's Amen. a way to hopefully get one or two to, yeah. to stay. Okay. Um, a, a, a shish kebab, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Cookie decorating, soap making, um, like cooking classes. Here, yeah. Here's the thing. It, it's skills, right? If you offer to teach something, you find the niche that's in your area, right? And you know, um, I remember different times. Maybe it's a, a big conference. We would have conferences. Uh, some about finances. How to you know finances is a big thing. And people come, and we. I remember one time said uh, we have an American visiting that is going to uh, teach about finances, and everybody's like, "Well, all Americans are millionaires. Let's go," you know, in their mind, and so they came. Maybe conference about creation, like you know, were men around when dinosaurs were, you know, like everybody's like, ah, you know, like that's cool. Uh, maybe about end times, and especially right now, you just hit a nerve, right? Like, is the world ending? Like, you know, you get a flyer and put, "Is the world ending?" What's happening in the Middle East? You know, put different things, and everybody's like, I got to know about that, and it draws a crowd, right? Um, and, you know, whether it's, let's talk about family, let's talk about marriage, let's talk about, what we're, we're doing different things to draw the crowd. What are some other ways? Guitar classes. What's that? Guitar classes. Okay, guitar classes. Um, you know, I mean, there's different things. Uh, you know, if it's Ben Cherry, you're going to do karate classes, right? Yeah. Um, Kick them in the head and preach to them about Jesus, right? And, uh, so, yeah, knock some sense into them. Um, okay, what are some other things? You get the idea. Uh, there, there's big events we would have. Um, show a Christian movie. And you say, well, that's silly. They could do it. Like, I'm just telling you've got to find what works in your country. And for us, at least when I served there, then having a big movie and people coming out and watching a big movie on a big screen for free and getting popcorn and we'd pause it right in the middle and then we'd preach to them and then we get to the end we'd preach to them um, and something to know is every time you get a crowd I believe uh, give something for their heart preach the gospel and give something in their hand what are they going to take home let them take home maybe a bulletin from the church or next activities from the church or your contact info that they can some way that they're taking something in their hand as well as something in their heart. So we're talking about the, the, the funnel, the top of the funnel, the big crowd. What are you going to do to get the big crowd? You know, and it may be in your country, they have a children's day. So you have this big activity of all these, you know, different, uh, different ways that kids could come, like a little fair or something that, you know, they could play games and get candy. And the parents might come out of the woodworks to take their kids to something free to get candy. Good. We're talking, you know, use monopolize per se or, or use well the, 
You know, it's Mother's Day. Everybody brings a mom, get some free. It's Father's Day. Every dad present gets a gift. Or, you know, it's Grandparents' Day. If you bring your grandparents, the idea is in your church, top of the crowd. Following? Okay, from the top of the crowd, you move down the funnel. And there we go into congregation. The congregation is the ones who are going to be now join a part of your church. So remember, not everybody in the crowd. Remember, even Jesus said, you know, um, and y'all are coming here for fish and bread. Remember John chapter six? A lot of people were just coming around for the free fish sandwiches. A lot of people were coming around for the miracles. A lot of people were coming around because they heard about this Jesus, this carpenter's son. So they came, big crowd, but now we're whittling down, we're, you know, moving towards middle, and that'll be the congregation. Some people are going to get saved. That's our goal. We want them to get saved, right? And everyone who gets saved, we want to disciple. So here's your question. What discipleship curriculum are you going to use? Or what Bible study curriculum are you going to use? To be honest, there's not the best or the only one. It doesn't matter what you use. A good discipleship curriculum will teach people um, what God says about salvation, what God says about baptism, what God says about uh, you know going to church, being faithful, what God says about you know giving, what God says about witnessing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know that. So find what works for you. What works in one country might not work for another. But don't worry about that. You don't have to. You know, this is the only thing I'm going to use. You use what's best. What is the goal of discipleship? That they grow in the Lord. Right? Somebody look up Colossians 1.28, if you don't mind. And let's look at Colossians 1. Whoever finds it, if you don't mind reading it, please. Whom we preach, wanting every man, and teaching every man, in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So three times it said every, and one time it said all. Warning every man, preaching to every man, and you know, for all places, every man that we may present every man according or before the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to present. So, this discipleship, we are growing people, right? And so, we're moving down the funnel. Do you have a discipleship? Once somebody got, does get saved, what's their next steps? So, you should have it. Now, even right now, if somebody comes to church, maybe you invite many people to church, they don't all get saved. But when somebody gets saved, what's the next step for them? Do you have a way to plug them in the church, you know, like discipleship that you're teaching them? Do you have some, you know, many of the, the cults that are out there, they monopolize on big evangelistic Christian efforts because they get saved, saved at a Billy Graham crusade or, you know, whatever, you know, they get saved at this thing, but they never grow. So here comes alongside somebody who shows them a couple different verses out of the Bible, but they, you know, twist it. And then all of a sudden, those people are now going to and learning things that are not doctrinal. And they monopolize on those things. And uh, it's horrible. So as a spiritual worker, as a missionary, as God's servant, once they get saved, you're moving them down to the next step, discipleship. Um one of the best, uh, one of the best things that we had in our discipleship that that happened. I remember specifically a young man came in. When what we would do is um, this lady who was a secretary. She became a secretary at the church, and she would she walk around with a big old uh, like a plastic sheet, 
and she put all of the lessons, our very first our um, very first stage of discipleship, we had two phases, phase one, phase two. Our phase one was like 26 lessons. And uh, there was a couple of preliminaries, so it was like 28 lessons. She would walk around with the lessons. And we would constantly say, you know, from the pulpit, and like, hey, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you, do lesson, you know, continue with your lessons. Someone might go up to Flavia and say, Flavia, I finished lesson one. They would hand her lesson number one. She would pull out the two sheets or whatever and give them lesson number two. They would take it home. They would fill in the blanks. So maybe you do, you know, one-on-one with the person. That's good. But what we did is, you know, we got more people. And so we started passing out these papers. And the blanks would be the exact words from the scripture. So it would say, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're talking about uh, baptism. Maybe you go to Acts chapter 8. And in the blank it says, what doth hinder me to be, and then the word that they fill in is from the Bible verse, baptized. So according to this, you know, what do you have to do to be baptized? Well, they're looking, they're reading the verse like, oh, you have to believe first. And so you're teaching them discipleship through the exact words in the Bible. Well, they would come back with lesson two, give it to Flavia, Flavia would give them lesson number three, we'd go on. And then every few months, we would have a certificate ceremony and everybody who finished uh, the discipleship uh, phase one they would go up front and they would receive a certificate and we it would one it would encourage them to keep going two it showed all of our church people keep on going because i wanted every man every person to be presented before christ right we want them mature we want them so as we move from the crowd we go down into the congregation the congregation is growing that's what a church is for, right? Everybody needs a local church where they can get involved and they can grow. Amen. Well, I remember one specific time that a young man came and he said, Pastor, do you have the next lesson? And I didn't have. I, I kept the, the original book and it was spiral bound. It was the 20 lessons or whatever. And I said, I don't have it. And he said, uh, I said, I've, I've got my whole book. But if you want to run down to the corner store, get a photocopy, you can do that. And so he got my book and he ran down and, you know, where I lived in South America, still made a lot of photocopies. You say, what's a photocopy? You know, like uh, just a copy of the, so they would go down, they would pay uh, 10 centavos and they would, you know, make a, a copy of something and come back. So he came back, gave me the book. Well, a couple weeks passed, probably about two weeks passed. And he walked in my office. He said, uh, here you go, Pastor. And I said, ah, did you finish lesson number two? And he said, no, I finished the whole thing. I said, what do you mean the whole thing? He said, I got photocopies of the entire book and I finished it. And I'm like, you just finished the whole book in two weeks? He's like, yeah, what's next? And I'm like, there's no next. That was supposed to be a year's worth of material. <laughs> and so I looked, I said, um, well, we have a phase number two of discipleship. I was totally bluffing and totally lying. And I walked out, I'm like, God, what am I going to use in phase number two? <laughs> and so I walked out and we came up with phase number two, a whole different, it was another discipleship curriculum that we used. As, and I said, give me next week and I'll let you start with phase number two. And that's when we started because he forced my hand. I wasn't ready for it. And uh, so I just bluffed my way through it. But he finished all of it. Time went on and he began to grow more and more. He began to get involved and things began to happen. And then he became one of the leaders of the church. And it wasn't a surprise that he became a leader because this young man came because of English class, part of the big crowd. But he stayed and became part of the congregation because of discipleship. 
The next one we go down to is committed. So from a crowd, you're gathering a crowd. Use your, uh, I don't know, use your imagination what you could do for gathering a crowd. You know, I mean, you're having a banquet. You encourage your people. Everybody have a friend over for a banquet. Or you're doing something, this, you know, soccer tournament, whatever we said, for the crowd. And you're preaching to them. If you get a crowd, preach to them. I read one book and it said this. It said, uh, go to, it was talking about different ways for evangelism. And it said, um, go to stand outside of, uh, of a big sports game or a rock concert or something. And this is what he said. Let the devil gather them, and then you preach to them. And I'm like, well, there's one idea, you know? And I mean, you already do. Like this weekend, starting tonight, here in Dawsonville, they have uh, what they call the Moonshine Festival. And I'll be going tomorrow morning, mainly for the food trucks, just saying. Um, but, and that's it, you know? I mean, for those think that I'm going to the Moonshine Festival for another reason, I'm not. I'm going for the food trucks. But as I go there, you know, there's people that are gathered everywhere. What a wonderful place to pass out tracks. And thankfully, there will be people who set up booths. I think there's over 200 vendors that are there. And uh, they're going to be setting up, and some of them are going to be good churches. The point is, you got to get a big crowd, whether the devil gathers them or whether you gather them. You want a big crowd. What, what do you do when you get the big crowd? You preach to them, right? So from the crowd, you go to the congregation. You get the congregation by... Now we have preached them. We've given them something in their hand. They came back. Now we give them discipleship. Now we help them. We used to tell people, um, if you'll come three times to church service, I'll give you a free Bible. And I realize things are, you say, um, everybody can buy their Bible. Well, in, in maybe a country that would not have as much money to spend as you would, then maybe they say free Bible. And they're like, okay. So they come back three times. The reason we did it was, one, I wanted them to keep coming back. Two, I felt like if I can get them back three times, very likely they'll make friends with somebody in our church. They'll like the environment. They'll say this is good, and maybe God will speak to their heart through the preaching. And they'll get saved. And so we would do, it's just another way of using the funnel system. So you have the crowd, then you go to the congregation, and then now we're going to committed. So you see a funnel. It's big at the top, right? And it goes down, and it goes towards the spout. Now, the target of the spout, you know, like let's say you're pouring oil in your car or whatever, you you know, a lot can fill at the top, but it goes right down to the narrow hole right there, right, to put the oil in your engine. Well, your goal on the mission field is you are trying to see people serve Jesus. We're not going to the mission field just to experience life in a different culture learn a language, and make some friends. Nothing wrong with that. You are going, remember why we're going, you are going to see people be discipled and then become disciple makers, right? We're looking for workers that the work can continue. One day, you as a missionary will leave the mission field. It's only a matter of time. It might be because of age. It might be because of sickness. It might be because the government kicks you out. It might be because of death. It might be because of furlough. There are a lot of reasons, but you will leave the mission field. When you leave, will the work continue? The work only continues if you leave workers that are doing the work of God. If it's all on you, you're a jack of all trades, I know how to do everything in the church, then it's going to all depend on you. And when you walk out, it all folds down. But if you leave workers that 
Now they're preaching the gospel. Now they're teaching kids. Now they're singing music. Now they're doing the work of God. It'll continue. So we're looking for committed, and it goes through the funnel. They start with the crowd, goes to the congregation, now the committed. And Jesus said to his disciples, he invited many, he said, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, right? Those were the one, according to Acts chapter 17, verse number 6, that turned the world upside down when our Lord left. Remember John 13? Greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. He's leaving, but the work of God is not going to die. It's going to continue. God might bury his worker, but God doesn't bury his work. In other words, many times uh, I used to think, Charles Spurgeon's dead, God. What's going to happen? The Lord says, it's my work. C.T. Studd or William Carey or Jim, you know, like it's all over or Hudson Taylor's not around. No, God says, it's my work. And there's some, you know, God used God-fearing men. Israel had some awesome kings and churches have had some awesome, like a lot of things. But we cannot forget, may we never forget, it's God's work. So how are things going to continue? Committed Christians. So once we're top of the funnel, we got the crowd, they hear the gospel, and now they're in the congregation, they're being discipled, you go into the committed, and that is you and I plugging everybody in the ministry. And I strongly believe that there is room for everybody to do something in the church. Sometimes we think that well, only if, uh, you know, not everybody can be a preacher, not everybody can sing, not everybody can, uh, you know, lead a Sunday school classes. There's no, no room. No, there's actually lots of room. Everybody can do something. All right, let me ask you. I broke it down in my, my lesson. I broke it down in five different categories of what people can work in. So let me ask you. I'll go to my notes and uh, I'll talk about it. But I want to ask you, what are some things that people can do in ministry, getting involved in the local church. Somebody help me out. Perfect. Set up chairs and tables. Marvelous. Being in charge of, of snacks. A lot of country where, where I served, it was a very um, hospitable environment, culture. And so almost every time we had some kind of hot tea um, before or after. Um, it, it was an in honor of the queen, ladies. Um, we had, what's that? Yeah, mate. Uh, we, have, we have some kind of um, hot tea or coffee, and they would usually have a, a, a what's a, a bandeja, a, a, um, like a tray, and we would have cookies on it. So you don't give everybody, you know, their own package of cookies. Costs too much. So you get a little bag of cookies, you dump it on the tray, and everybody gets two or three cookies. You know, if they get more, you're like, ah, ah, ah. You know, like, you know, that's enough right there. You know, your tithe didn't cover. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, so everybody gets a cup. But it was a very, our environment was a very welcoming culture. If you visit somebody's house, you always got something to drink and something to snack on. Even if it was a piece of bread with jelly or something, you know. It was very, it was a very inviting, you know, inviting, welcoming, hospitable culture. So something you could do is somebody, it doesn't have to be you. Now, maybe at the beginning, you and your spouse and, and maybe even your kids, you're doing everything at church. When we started our, our first church, I led the singing, I gave the announcements, I did the prayer, I did the offering, I did the preaching, I did the invitation, and I said, y'all come back now, you hear? And like, you know, and, and, and we're done. We did everything. And little by little, 
God allowed there to be other people who could do things. So you might give out all the drinks and everything at the beginning. Nevertheless, as time goes by, you involve others in doing things. What are some other things that people can do? Take up offering. Take up offering. We need some ushers, right? Um, all right, what's some other things? Greeters. All right, greeters. And guy, girl, you know, kid, older, we all need somebody at the front door to open the door or to smile. Hey, how you doing? Like, that's a good welcoming sign, right? You say, now, to, to welcome at church, you know, we're not, we're not talking about pulpit. I would say be very, 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 very slow ever to allow somebody to get to the pulpit. That, that's not the goal because once you let somebody get to the pulpit and give announcements or something like that, to give them any other job is way below them. Wow. And so be very careful. I did that by um, lesson learned, by trial and error, accident, and then, you know, guy ended up leaving. I'm like, hey, would you would you help us an usher? And like, uh, no, no, I want to go back up there. And I'm like, man, I just ruined it for the guy. Be very, very slow. Um, th here's the idea. Be very slow to hire, and you don't have to be quick to fire. In other words, you know, bring them up slowly. Everybody can be involved, but rarely do you let anybody get to the, the pulpit. It's not like you want to give them time, right? Paul talked to Timothy, Timothy and in that, you know, the, the 1 Timothy 3, the Titus chapter 1, when he talked about the, the prerequisites, the guidelines to being a, a, a pastor, an elder, um, a bishop, he said, not a novice, not something new, somebody who's been proven. So don't let anybody get to the pulpit without being proven. But there's a lot of things that people can do, right? You don't have to be a super Christian to give out a bulletin. You don't have to be a super Christian to turn on the sound equipment to straighten up the chairs. You don't have to be a super uh, Christian to clean something up or to stock something. Or So I wrote down um, five different areas in which everybody can be involved in, in something in ministry. The very first, and these are things that we used in, in Argentina. We'd pass them out on a paper, and at least a couple times a year, we'd ask everybody to mark something and get involved in one of the areas. The very first one would be music and sound. <clears throat> That includes working in the sound equipment, you know, turning it on. That includes maybe playing an instrument. We had um, a lot of instruments. You know, we didn't have just one guitarist. We had several. We didn't have one person playing the keyboard. We had several. We didn't have one person, you know. If you played an instrument, we'll let you go up there and play during the song service. You know, we'd like an orchestra. You know, it could be um, that could be turning on music before and after service. I like a wel welcoming environment you know somebody walks in and you know instrumental quiet music is playing so you don't get nervous especially if you're visiting right um we talk about uh singing the choir or singing a there's a lot of different sound things that could be done maybe you have a projector somebody turns on the projector and goes and turns it on or somebody sits at the back and like in other words sound and, uh music and sound second one would be outreach this includes visiting people that can't make it to service for some reason maybe health maybe age. This includes visiting hospitals, whether you're visiting people that are in your church that are in a hospital, or in general. We had a hospital ministry when I was in Argentina, and uh, a lot of our people would just go and walk down the halls, and we would give packages of, um, it would be like two diapers, and it would be like a track, and uh, something simple, and we'd have ladies walk in there to new mothers, 
Um, and we would give them that. And they would be so excited that they're getting a package, yet it had a track right in there. And so that's a ministry. Or somebody would walk around and give out tracks at the hospital. Somebody would go pray with people in the hospital. You don't have to be uber spiritual and be called the ministry to do that. Um, this would also include uh, visiting those that have recently, recently visited the church. You know, somebody visited the church, let's follow up with them. We need people to do that. This would also include bus routes. Now, um, before we had a, um, a bus, God gave us a bus in one of the churches in Argentina. And uh, before we had that, we, we called it a foot route. And Mindy and one of the ladies would walk into a neighborhood and walk back with a bunch of kids and a bunch of people walking from there into to our church. It was just a foot route. Now, that lady that used to go in with Mindy, um, she's now a pastor's wife, and she does a lot of things. Like, what a blessing. Get people involved. Uh, this would also include um, hosting people for a meal, uh, using as an evangelistic tool. It's uh, talking about general soul winning, outreach, et cetera, et cetera. So um, a couple different ways would be music and sound, outreach. Next one would be decoration and cleaning. So in other words, let's decorate for a special event that we're having, a special conference. The general decoration of the building, maybe plants or flowers up front, maybe updating pictures and signs on the walls, maybe maintenance on the outside of the church, you know, like make sure pick up cups after something or cleaning up the platform area. There's a fresh uh, cup of water up there and no papers on the floor or clutter on the platform. This is the general stage. This is um, hot tea we talked about before or after the service. This is once a month we would like to... Um, do something special, you know, maybe a little finger foods or everybody brings something. This is make sure the chairs are in order, make sure the bathrooms are clean, make sure they're stocked, you know, it's a, you got an imagination. But everybody can do something. Maybe this is to change out the missionary prayer letters, or maybe this is to make sure all the, when you walk in church, that all the, the picture frames are, are, you know, look good and they're not cobwebs around them. And everybody can do something. Another one, a fourth one would be service time positions. This would be a nursery worker. Now, when we started, it was Mindy was the nursery worker. Uh, I took everybody from 12 up, Mindy took everybody from 11 down. Um, but that's all there was. As time went, we'd have more kids, and so Mindy would have one of the, the moms stay in there with her. And then as time grew, we had more kids, then another lady, and then we made a little rotation. And then as time went, we made a bigger rotation, and Mindy moved out, and then there was a somebody who was the leader um, but we, you know, this could be a nursery worker. This could be ushers to help with offerings, maintain order of the service. You know, the usher first, we'd start out with the same two guys. Then we just chose three or four that were there. And then we had a head usher and he would mark down and put on the, uh, on a piece of paper on the wall, who were going to be the ushers of the day. And, uh, and he would make sure that everybody's ready and everybody has what they need. This is the ushers are to, you know, help. They don't have to be super spiritual. They're helping a baby's there. Like, ma'am, would you like, we've got a nursery out the back. Could, could we help you out? And they would take the, the, the lady to take her. This is to keep order in the service. One time, um, you know, we've had all kinds of crazy things. We'd have a dog run in the service. And I'm like, thank the Lord for ushers. You know, we'd have drunks walk in, you know, like, and I'm like, thank God for ushers. You know, at the beginning, it was me scooting out the dogs as I'm trying to preach at the same time. It was me trying to, like, say, somebody help the drunk man standing in front of me, like, waving his arms as I'm trying to sing. You know, like, it was awkward, the whole thing, you know. We've had times where we'd start a church, and 
the next door neighbors like throwing rocks on the tin roof, making noises. He didn't like us. We'd have neighbors like turning the music all the way up on purpose. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, what do you do? You just try to talk louder or, you know, whatever. But as time went, I remember um, our second church plant, chickens would go wild every time I was preaching. They were quiet during the songs. They were quiet during the announcements. I would start preaching, and the diabolical, you know, non-Chick-fil-A chickens would go, rah, rah, you know I mean, go crazy. I'm like, I'm going to kill them all, you know? I mean, I'm going to get Chick-fil-A sauce, I'm, you know, I'm defeathering every one of them, you know, going crazy. But then over time, you get men who stand at the back, people who help, ladies and gentlemen that are in the door that greet people, and they begin to help. Everybody can do something. Um, this is a welcome table where information is kept. This is doorkeepers, um, greeters, etc. And there's a fifth category that would be office work. And office work doesn't mean sometimes we um, really... Uh, we overanalyze things like, well, I don't know somebody who is good on the computer. It doesn't have to be. You know, this could be maintain the track rack, another booklets that you have. This could be gather all the visitor cards and put them in a system for follow-up. That system could be, for us, for a long time, it was just a box, and they would keep it in order and make sure somebody followed up. This could be a volunteer for a few hours every week just to stay at the church, or the entrance of the church, if somebody came by and needed prayer or needed something. This could be uh, publicity, somebody going out and looking for opportunities where you could put tracks or where you could put a sign or where you could do something. This could be birthday cards for everybody in the congregation. This could be calling people that have visited for, you know, special events. This could be calling people that have birthdays or anniversaries. This could be follow-up letter. You get the idea. I don't need to go on, but here's the idea. There is plenty, if you will write it down, there are plenty of things that people can do in ministry. It does not only have to be those who teach, those who preach, those who sing. There's a lot of things. So follow with me. Go, go back in your mind. The funnel principle. The goal is gather a crowd. There's a lot of things you could do. We move it down to the congregation. How can we get these that have heard that are now saved and, you know, uh, to growing, to spiritually maturing? And so we go right here. And then we move down to the committed. Now we're involving them in church. Now we're giving them opportunities. Now we're spending more time with them. Now we're letting them, you know, use the gifts that God has given them. We're talking about the committed. Now, as time goes by, God's going to show you through, like I said, discipleship or through other things, how guys are really growing. And those are going to be the guys who are serving. Let me, let me ask you this. I'll close out with this section and then I'll hand it over to uh, Nate to talk a little bit. L let me think about this. Every one of us here, Every one of us. I want you to think in your, your life. Every one of us. Um, Blake, would you mind turning the AC on before we all yes, die of a heat stroke? Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you. Lower half. Mercy, it's warm. It's been cool, but now it's... Uh, okay. Um, every one of us, I want you to think in your own life. Every one of us have been through the funnel, funnel principle. Think about it. Let me ask you. I, I just want you to think. You don't have to answer. Why did you get saved? Mom and dad took me. Good. Uh, my neighbor asked me to go to visit church with them. Good. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in church, but um, a teacher really took a liking into my life. Or I had a friend there, or man, just how God, you know, something gave you a curiosity to be part of the crowd. From there, you got saved. You say, I was just like everybody else sitting in the pew, but something 
revived or woke up or, you know, quickened that desire to serve God in your life. I don't know what it was. For my wife, she was six years old and missionaries came by the church and she said, I want to be a missionary. And I know this because I've read all of her journals. And uh, she wanted to be a missionary and she kept that in, her and her twin sister. And by the way, people used to go up with them and, and pray with them and say, that's sweet. You know, I'm glad thinking it's going to pass. But God kept it in her heart. And so uh, you, something God used in your life to awaken. Maybe it was a book you read. Maybe it was a sermon that you heard. Maybe it was a person that you met. Maybe it was, I don't know, what made you. So you got saved, part of the big crowd. You moved into that curiosity, moved you into the congregation. And then that discipleship. Or, or somebody taking interest in helping you, it made you go further down into being committed. And then one day, you felt like God was touching and speaking to your heart about serving Him. And that's where you're at now. And every one of us can say it's not one person. God used many people in your life or many circumstances or many messages or many lessons or whatever to get you to where you are. And let me tell you this. God does not have a lack or shortage of workers. There are plenty of people out there that God is wants to use, but God wants to use you so that they can hear, so that they can grow, and they can become committed. And so you went through the funnel system. Now it's your time to help other people get through the funnel system. You say, well, God calls somebody. Correct. But God can't call. Here's what William Carey said. If you want to know the will of God, get an open Bible and an open map. In other words, God can't call people on information they do not know. So notice churches where there's a lot of young people that are being called the ministry. Like probably there's some preaching and some interest from the teachers that are teaching that. I mean, there's something about that. So you are going to go over and ask God to use you to help you get in the crowd, move the congregation and get to the committed. All right. Questions about the funnel before we move topics. Everybody got it? Not difficult, and I realize I'm probably oversimplified, and maybe there's a lot more to it, and uh, um, and that's very true. Nevertheless, you, you have to learn to simplify everything in life. Sometimes we overanalyze and make things very difficult. Serving Jesus doesn't have to be hard or difficult. Take it one day at a time. You know, you heard the old, uh, you know, saying, silly as it may be, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. By the way. Watch out because there's a lot of poachers out there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, one bite at a time, right? Uh, and, you know, so how do you run a marathon? Well, you know, one mile at a time. Don't plan on doing that one. You know, how do you, whatever it is, just how do you graduate from the, the, the training center? Well, it's going to take years. You do it one time. How do you, you know, whatever it is, don't let the, the fear of the unknown make you afraid and you don't do it. Fear paralyzes a lot of people. You know, the acronym FEAR, F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. God, I can't do this. Lord, it's just impossible. And many people, they don't get saved because, you know, like if I get saved, I have to stop this or my, 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 my family's going to disown me or, you know, fear of, you know, no, accepting Jesus is the best thing. And then like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Bible verses. I don't think I can do this. And all of a sudden they start growing in the Lord. They're they're learning these truths of God's word and Bible principles and Bible verses. And, you know, in other words, you help them through that. And where you're at, simplify it. Simplify everything. God, I don't know how I'm going to get my money. 
God, I don't even know how I'm going to do deputation. God, I don't know if I can finish this. I don't know. And here's my Bible verse for the whole thing. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, that's God, which hath begun a good work in you, that's salvation, he will perform it, perfect it, <coughs> mature it, all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. What God started in you, God wants to fulfill in you. Amen. Let him use you. Amen. And uh, if God uses you, I mean, there are wonderful things that will happen. Amen. And so um, sometimes we do the, the comparison, well, I can't be like, don't do that. God didn't make you like anybody else. And praise the Lord he didn't, because it would be boring if we were all cookie cutters, right? Like you say, I might do, you know what? I don't know that I would use English classes where I go. Good, don't use them. Find something that you're going to use for the top of the, you know, the, the funnel. You know, I don't know if uh, I might use a soup kitchen. Good, use it. Just make sure your goal is to share the gospel. And then make sure from there, don't let that be an end all. I just want to feed the bellies. Good, we'll make sure the heart gets fed too. And when they do get saved, make sure, you know, like, I don't, it doesn't matter what ministry, let's make sure we're getting people through to serve Jesus. So don't don't worry, we're not cookie cutter. You know, they compare themselves among themselves, they're not wise, right? Because if you compare yourself, you're either prideful because you're way better than, or you're miserable because you're not as good as. Either side of the horse that you fall on, the right or left, you still fall off the horse, right? And so don't compare yourself. Don't worry about those things. You, bless you, you follow through. All right, funnel principle, everybody got it? Five, four, any questions, any comments, anything you would like to add to it? Got Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Sure. So we had, um, all, all through those, you're going to have a, you're going to have people that lag behind or people don't, you know, get there. So in other words, when you are preaching or teaching or whatever, you're going to find people who never started discipleship, although you are blue in the face saying, everybody, please start. You're going to find some people who started lesson one and two that are not going to finish. That's okay. They are the sheep and God, as, as Paul told, um, you know, in the book of Acts, the, the Christians, feed the flock that is amongst you. Peter said it as well, first Peter 5. So you are to feed them. Some are going to grow. Some are not. How do we know when somebody's going to be in, in ministry? Well, I think we naturally watch and some people grow. You know, if you add enough water, plants grow, right? Other plants don't make it. So you preach and you love everybody, no matter how far they go in the Christian life. You love them all. But some people, like that young man who finished all the discipleship and said, what's my next step? Well, he's growing. I'm going to keep giving them to him. Some people are going to hit the roof. And when they do, you remove the roof and you let them keep growing. Some people will never get out of their chair, spiritually speaking. They're just not going to do it. How many in our churches in the United States, how many are Sunday morning people never come back Sunday night? Do they not know there's not a Sunday night service? The pastor has probably stood up there until he's like blue in the face. Like, if you love God, you know, like I, I remember, you know, three to thrive. You know, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and what's that? I used to say, I, I did three to thrive in Spanish. Um, tres para vivir, uh, spiritually, if you want to, if you want to move forward, el domingo en la mañana, el domingo en la tarde, y el miércoles, like, you know, if you want to spiritually grow, you need tres para vivir, three, three to thrive, three to go by, three to grow by, and we'd push it. Guess what? People that are not coming back Sunday night are never coming back Sunday night. 
We had this man who was, he was the treasure of our church. He was a good man. They had no children. They were older, him and his wife. They married at an older age and uh, super sweet. But every time I had a men's activity, he was not going. He wanted to go. And I knew because he, he told me a lot. And he even told me, my wife won't let me come. I'm like, this is awkward. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you're my, old enough to be my granddad. I'm like, I can't tell you. Like, tell grandma to let you go, you know. Uh, it was just weird. But, you know, he could. So I had to realize he's never going to go on the men's activities. And we had, we had one men's activity a month. Ours would be uh, soccer and steak. I mean, that's the double spiritual S right there. Spirit, you know, steak and soccer. And, I mean, we did it. And there was a guy, Alfredo, he would run the whole thing. And uh, he would collect, you know, 15 pesos from every person. He'd buy the meat. And we'd go and, I mean, people came out of the woodworks. We had, it was one of our biggest evangelistic efforts. Because everybody came for steak and soccer. And we'd always bring a little bit more. It didn't cost, you know, I mean, just everybody played, uh, paid 15, which was like, there it was not a whole lot of money. But everybody would do it to play soccer and uh, to eat steak. And we'd bring people. And, um, th- that that man, he never came. And like we would say, hey, men, I want you to be there. And I want you to bring somebody. And everybody would. But this man never did. I'm like, I just accepted it. Some people you have to accept. They're not going to grow. They're not going to go further. That's okay. Keep preaching to them. You'll never know when God's going to work. By the way, you can't, you know, sometimes we try to twist the hearts, manipulate the situation. If God doesn't do it, we labor in vain that do it, mm. right? Uh, I mean, just let God do the work. You keep preaching, keep loving people, and as you do, some are going to grow, some are going to stay. That's okay, Amen. right? And so we're talking about funnel principle. Anybody else? That's a good question. Because sometimes it, it can fluster us a little bit. Um, that's all right. Maybe right now you're witnessing to people or discipling people, and you're like, Every time I get back with that person, I say, so did you read your Bible this week? Oh, man, I've just been so busy. I can't, you know, and you're like, will you ever read your Bible? You know, like, I'm going to slap this guy upside the head. Well, maybe that means that you invest and help others and not as much as that person. But keep loving them. Keep, you know, send them a text. Hey, I look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. You know, when we started the church, it seems silly to you. When we started our, our first church, I literally, I texted almost or called almost every person every Saturday night. And you're like, why would you do that? They should be spiritually mature enough. Like most of them just got saved or wasn't even saved. I was trying to get anybody and everybody. We grew and later on, I I divided it up between 10 couples. And I said, you are the the pastor or the deacon of, of this couple. I want you to pray for them, and I want you to weekly contact them. You don't have to tell anybody that you're in charge of them. I want you to know their birthdays. We divided up because I couldn't do it. And and by the way, it's great for a missionary to realize he cannot do it all. Don't try to do it all. If you are the best, like I never need anybody because I could play the, uh, I could use the sound system on my my my, I don't know, on my tablet. And I could play the guitar by myself and I could sing and then I could preach and I could do the special music. If you are a jack of all trades, there's no room for anybody else to work. You need people to work and you need to let them know that there's a need. Like, man, if you could help me and say, I can, I could do better by myself on the, on the iPad running. And I'm sure you can, but somebody has to learn how to do that in the back. You know, you can get there and at the beginning, you will be the only one, you know, cleaning up the chairs, but you know, straightening and doing that. But little by little, let other people help you, right? Okay, anybody else question or comment about the uh, 
about the funnel principle. Five, four, three, two. All right, Nate, I'm gonna give this to you. And how about, I would like if we can, Actually, there's one right there. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, yeah. Hello. Okay. Nate's going to be with us a couple more weeks. Um, you know, I mean, as he travels, the, the point is he's going to be very soon headed out to the mission field. And so uh, he's already finished a couple years. God's used him. And now he's going to pioneer a brand new country. So I would like you to consider maybe asking him a question. Now, remember, some things are going to be theory because he's not in Benin, right? But God is forming uh, a plan in his mind and his heart. He's still praying about everything. So maybe you could ask about his, he's already did his internship, and then he did his two years. He's already raised his money. He's already learned a language. He is many steps ahead of many people. And so that's a good thing. Maybe you can ask him about anything that, that can help you fill in some of those blanks. All right? So chill out. Not, not everybody at the same time. You can't handle all the questions, all right? Um, anybody? All right? Nate, how about you just tell us, um, when you arrived, you know, God had already put on your heart missions, so you got your preparation. I'm sure there were some things as you were getting your preparation uh, that were trying to deter you. And then as you started deputation, that probably tried to deter you. And then as you got over there, Sicknesses and other things that probably deterred you, and uh, should raise your fund, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and now that you're going on, how do you continue when there's a lot of things, maybe maybe spiritual or maybe physical ailments, you know, sicknesses, or maybe even family? Like, Lord, what do I do? I mean, you guys are in a very a more difficult than than more than, than a lot of countries, you know. So how do you keep going? Yeah, you're, uh, if you look for an excuse of why not to do something or an excuse to quit, you can easily always find one. Um, because, it, so it all kind of depends on your personality, how you look at life. Um, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be difficulties. Nothing, you know, not everything's going to be exactly perfectly how you thought it would be. Um, and, you know, Emily had never even been to Africa when we went. And, uh, you know, to Burkina Faso, she went to Kenya for like a week, but so everything was like completely new. And so there's going to be, there's going to be culture shock. There's going to be difficulties when it comes to learning a language. Um, you're going to have maybe kids. And so you have all that thrown in there. And so if you're looking for an excuse, you're looking for a reason to quit, you can easily find many of them. But if you just have it in your mind, God's called you to do the work that he's called you to do. And don't let difficulties or trials distract you or discourage you. Um, just stay focused at the task at hand. I mean, we have a job to do. Life's not about us. It's not about, you know, how easy and how great things are all the time. They're not always going to be. But, um, if you have the perspective and, and mindset, uh, that's, that I think is godly in the right way to think about things, then really our lives are, are wonderful that God's given us. I mean, if you really think about it, uh, you know, we, the worst thing that can happen to us is like the best thing that can happen to us, which is we die and go to heaven. I mean, and God saved us. We're saved. Sometimes I think and I like look and I meet people. And as you're sharing the gospel, you meet people that are living lives so empty and so vain. They're chasing after money or they're chasing after pleasure. Or they're trying to, you know, seek their happiness and alcohol and all sorts of different, different things that do not satisfy. And I'm, I, sometimes you just think like, what in the world? I can't, I cannot imagine living life without Christ and living a life 
that is pretty much just purposeless. And so, but that's how most people live. And so knowing that going into it, you, you know, you may say, Oh, well, I'm not like so and so, or I'm not like this or that, but you know, Jesus, and that's more than most people. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that enter, that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. Narrow is the way that leadeth, uh, to life. Or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. You know the verse in English better than I do. Um, uh, most people are going to hell, Jesus says, and very few people actually get it. Very few people are really saved. And so you have the gospel. So everywhere you go, even if you don't have much, you have the gospel. And that is a lot more than you think it is. And realize that the devil's going to try to throw everything he can at you. I mean, things were, um, you know, semi-easy, um, easier and, and bobo for the two years than they were in Awaga. Ever since we got to Awaga, it was really bad. Um, with the sicknesses, with the dust, with infections, ear infections, eye infections, uh, just dust everywhere, trash everywhere, people with different culture, uh, people were just, I don't know, they just seemed more annoying for some reason, like showed up at your house every day asking you for money, and it's like, you know, you can handle it for so long, but after a while, it's just like, good granddaddy long legs, would you guys leave us alone, this is our house, like, like let me breathe, let me like walk around in my underwear, for goodness sakes, like, I, like goodness, you, you always have to be, you know, on guard, everyone's coming in, and they just, they don't even knock sometimes, and it's like, we had a, a guard, it was like our guard, supposed to be guarding our house, like walked into our house, walked into our bedroom, um, and uh, just crazy stuff that you're just like not expecting, and and you know, you're, you're walking and somebody just grabs your hand, like tries to hold your, uh, just hold your hand, grabs your hand. and just, You know, you have all sorts of different things that just happen that's like, you know, it's fine because that's what they do, that's their culture and you just like kind of, you know, you don't do anything on the outside but inside you're like, oh, this is weird. Like, you're going you're gonna to have difficulties, you're going to have culture shock but just realizing, you know, everything, everything that can happen, if you have a bad attitude and if you think, oh, if you want to see everything in a bad light, you can and you can be miserable but I don't recommend it for anyone. I don't care about your personality. It doesn't matter about your personality. Life's not about you. Just have, just, just realize, like, you know, life is what you make it. If Christ is your life, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You know, deny yourself every day. Take up your cross and follow Christ and realize that it's great. It's awesome. I mean, life, it, life is what you make it out to be. And I know many of you are going, you're in the training center or you're, you're trying to raise support for your internship and you've got some difficulties. Um, you may be pulled over by police and you may have, you know, just different, different, you're going to have different things that are going to happen. You're going to have bills and you're going to have to have, uh, trying to figure out your financial situation or raising support and it's going to feel like it's impossible. And sometimes you're, you're thinking, Right now, like, oh, Lord, I don't really know if I'm going to make it. I don't really know how I can ever get to that stage. I remember being in the training center and thinking, oh, man, it sure would be great to be at this stage. It sure would be great to be on my internship. Oh, then that came. Then you're like, oh, it sure would be great to be on deputation. Then you get there and you're like, oh, it sure would be great to get to the field. Then you're like, sure would be great to learn the language. And then you're like, oh, sure would be great to start a church. And you're, you know... If you're, you know, if you're always thinking, oh, well, once I get to this stage, once I get married and once I have kids, then I'll be happy, then you're never going to be because you have to get to the mindset that only Christ can satisfy you. There's only satisfaction that's found in him. And literally the fact that he saved us and he's called us and he allows us to serve him and to just be here now, you know, Lord willing, hopefully many of you will be and in a, in a further stage, but even if not, you're, you're here now for such a time as this to learn and to grow 
all you can while you can. And so just look at the bright side of life and that will help you a lot. Go with the flow, have a a chill personality, even if you're uptight or you're, you're, you know, you have a hard time with that. Just let it go. Let it go. Forget about you and realize your life is, is for Christ. Amen. Amen. That's good. Anybody have a, a question or a comment? I've got a question. So your goal is to go through them and start churches and you've got uh, what seems like a multicultural, multi-language uh, place. So what's your goal? Uh, I know that you, you learn French, you're going to learn another language. Are you going to have your uh, church your different services in different languages? Or like, what's the goal? Are you going to do kind of like Brother Keith and translate three different ways? Uh, what's your yeah, yeah. So it's it's really awesome, Benin, the opportunity because you have a lot of Nigerians that speak English, and you have the Beninois that want to learn English so they can do business with Nigeria and Ghana and different places in West Africa. So I would like to, at one point down the road, when we first get started, we're going to be learning Fengbei full time. We're going to be there's a church not far. We're going to be trying to invite people to church, bring people to church, disciple people, and during that time, I'm going to be you know meeting with different of the members there, praying that God would touch several people's hearts to, to learn more about the Bible so that we could start studying the Bible and maybe start training them for future ministry and praying that the Lord would prepare for that. So during the first year to two, we're going to be doing that. But um, whenever we do go out on our own and start a church, I would like to have an English service for people, for Nigerians and for anybody that wants to learn English. And then uh, have a French service. Usually what they have is they'll preach in French and it'll be translated into Fong. So we might do that or we might just do three different services uh, on Sunday. Nobody hardly does Sunday night there for whatever reason. They just um, do Sunday morning. But, you know, depending on all that, we'll just kind of see what, because you, typically people on Sunday nights, they go out to the village and visit their family. So you have to figure out what they do in their culture and what's, what w- works best for them. But we might end up doing three different services depending on how many people you come, how big of a space you have as well. So we'll, we'll see, but I'd like to do multiple services because there's there's some, there's some lots of people that I've met that don't even, that are Muslim or whatever, but they're like, yeah, I'd, I'll come to church to to hear English, you know? And so you have so you have people that do that. Like even the church now, we were just there for three weeks when we moved to Benin before, uh, after, before coming here. And there is also, that we met a family that works for the U.S. Embassy that just got there. And he speaks a little bit of French, but his wife doesn't speak any, and his kids don't speak any. So the pastor would preach, and then I would translate the service from French to English for them, for their sake. But then I've, I then I saw like other people they really like that a lot because they're they want to learn English, and they it's interesting. You get to hear the message in different ways, and so before they were doing it from French into Fengbei, and so with English doing it. Translating three times is that's just a lot. It's a lot for me. I think it would be better to have you know a, ho- a whole hour service in each language, in, in in the future. What's the population of like people that don't speak French that only speak Fengbei, or vice versa? So in the cities, there'd be more people that speak French, but overall, they say it's not very many. Uh, about half or so that 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 would speak French um, overall in the country. Thirty percent to to half. And so it, it just depends on where you're at, what city you're at. And so that, but that's one reason why we'd like to learn Fengbei is so that, because odds are, and ever even the time that we were there, we met people that did not know French. And so then it's like, you know, how, how are you going to share the gospel? You, you limit yourself um, from the get go. But even if they do speak French, they don't like it. They don't like it. 
they don't prefer it. They use it like people in South Africa would use English. But, you know, what do they speak to each other? What do the Kosa speak to each other? They, they speak that. They speak that, that cool language. Or the click. They, they like that. That's their heart language. And so the same way there. You know, they speak to each other, they speak in phone. And when I speak in phone, they love it. The walls fall down. They're like, oh, you're not just some, you know, you know, conceited French guy that's trying to steal our money. You actually care about us enough to learn our language. And so it, it, you're not limited by who you can share the gospel with and who you can't. But even, even though they do know French, it's like they don't like it. You know, it's not preferred. So, um, so the percentage maybe thirty to fifty percent, but we're look going. We would like to at one point go to a like a smaller city. Maybe there's a city called Wida. I'm not sure exactly. We'd like to travel and survey while we're there during that year or two, learning the language. We'd like to survey you know twenty to fifty different cities and villages that are around. But there's a city called Wida that we went to and did uh, evangelism at that um, that nobody had ever done evangelism there before. And so they were super like open, wide open, excited to receive something and willing to talk with you. Majority of people there are voodoo, but they don't really, you know, with voodoo, it just kind of, nobody really knows exactly. Some of y'all saw some of the videos about voodoo. I mean, it's so different and there's not like, there's not even like a book, like this is what we do. This is what we believe. So it's all in conglomeration of different crazy stuff going on. And so they, they don't have any Bible preaching church in the whole city. There's like 50 to 100,000, but they get, um, there's different people in the surrounding areas and all cities are growing. So we'd like to maybe at one point go to a city like that. But if we did, French would be less spoken even there. So um, just depending on where we go, we'll, we'll see. We'll figure it out. But Fongbei is definitely, just a little bit of time I was there, they're like, yeah, you need to learn this. So. And the other missionaries said we should. Fongbe. Fongbe. Okay. And it, yeah. Uh, I guess how many people that speak Fongbe would know not old English? The majority of older people, 50 and older, for, maybe 40 and 50 and older, wouldn't know very much. Um, because they wouldn't go to school, but it depends. Because you, it, you know, it's all every all school is paid. There's no free school, so. It, that's why I say in the village, you're going to have a whole lot less people that speak French or are familiar with French or can read because they didn't go to school because their parents could affo- couldn't afford to pay for them to go to school. And so you have, but you also have kind of poorer families that the reason they are poor is because they're paying for all four of their kids' school bills so they go to school because they want them to, to, to learn French. Or you have a family with like eight or nine, ten kids and they, they're poor, but they, you know, they'll steal and kill and get whatever they can to get enough money to send one kid to school. And that kid is like, no pressure. Like, you got to get a good job so you can send money back and provide for our whole family for the rest of your life. And so, you know, you'll meet people like that where it's like, yeah, I'm in school. And it's like, well, you know, I, I don't really have a choice. I've got to continue with this. And I, I've got a lot of pressure on my back. And so, but that guy would know French and none of his family would in the village. And he would just get whatever job he could and send money back to him. And and it's kind of, that's like the rest of his life, kind of a, a slavery in a sense. Um, so you have all sorts of different people, but the, but the further you go out from the city, the less, the less French people are going to know. But they do have Fongbe, they have the language, um, they have a Bible written in Fongbe. And the government is pushing uh, big time, more now than ever before, pushing people to read, teaching people to read in French and in Fongbe. 
So um, there's a Bible in French and in Fongbe. So I've met some people that don't know how to read French, but they know how to read Fongbe. And some people that know how to read Fongbe don't know how to read French. Some people know how to speak French, don't know how to speak Fongbe. Some people know how to speak Fongbe, but not French. The majority of foreigners don't know Fongbe. People come from Nigeria, whatever they were in, and then there's a whole bunch of Chinese people. I don't really know what they speak. I'm guessing they've got to speak some French to survive or do business. So, but who knows? Maybe Lord will open up a door to start a uh, Chinese church, you know, in the future. Because, you know, why not? God wants everyone saved. There's a bunch of um, Moroccan guys, uh, Indian guys. So that's another reason that that that, that story app is cool. I met, I went went to a store, uh, like a, a restaurant. It was a guy from like Tengali or some weird. He spoke some weird language. He told me where he was from, and I was like, "What language do you speak?" It was another guy that spoke Hindi. So I was able to share the gospel with this guy in his language and this guy in his language. And so, you know, wherever you go, there's going to be people from all over the world. And so we want to reach, you know, we're there to reach Benin, but we're really, we're like, we're reaching West Africa. So whoever's come, whoever, wherever they're from, we met people from Ghana, met people from Niger, met people from Nigeria, from Togo, from all over the, all over the place. And so it's exciting just to, the possibilities of thinking, what, what could God do? Um, what doors could he open? And, we were in Burkina Faso, of all places, in Bobo de Lasso, like, like the the middle of nowhere, Burkina Faso, and there was a huge group of Nigerians that were there, like two or three thousand of them. Uh, they're doing QNet, this this marketing, internet marketing type business or whatever. But anyhow, they came to us like, hey, can we learn? Any, can we can we uh, go to church? Can you sp- speak English in church so we can actually understand what's going on? Because they didn't know any French, and so they started. We're like, sure. If you come at 7 a.m. in the morning, we'll, we'll preach. And so, yeah, there was 65, 75 Nigerians packed into this building, overflowing, people standing in the back because they just wanted to have church in English so they could understand. Most of those guys weren't even saved. They came from Anglican. They were Catholic or they were Anglican, but it didn't matter to them. They just wanted to hear somebody pray in English and hear preaching in English and, and sing in English. And then they even got to do it in their, their language sometimes. It got, it got pretty crazy when that happened. They... They got really excited, but you, that also showed me how much of a difference, and it's the same, it's true in Benin, when people are singing and worshiping uh, or preaching in Fongbe, there's a difference versus French, and so it, it's helpful, you have to know French, because the government paperwork's in French, whole bunch of stuff's in French, all the foreigners, that's all they speak, uh, embassy, everything, so French is necessary, but it's, it's helpful to, to know both of them, and so... We're excited about the possibility of starting multiple churches in multiple different regions of the country. It's pretty much so like a line, like this invisible line and in, like within half the country. The north, they speak Dendi, and they love Dendi. And if you speak Fongbe up there, they don't like you because they're very racist. They're all Typically, they're majority Muslim, 90, 80, 90% Muslim up north. Down south, it's the polar opposite majority Muslims are the minority and so those that are Muslim are pretty hard they're harder or whatever but they speak Fongbe and and they need to learn Fongbe because if they speak Dendi people will make fun of them and call them monkeys and kick them and stuff and so um so you have this like kind of this line so but all down south is where the majority of the population is like like that's probably 70 percent of the population is down south and they would speak and even up north, they would understand it, even if they didn't know French, so you could get the gospel to them. Anybody else? Let me say this. Um, in the meantime, um, I think it's phenomenal that you take whatever opportunities are in front of you, 
And so if he could start an English service because there's, like you said, Nigerians, uh, people from other country, amen. You know, um, do whatever God gives you. And, uh, you know, over, if you read in, in missions, a lot of times, I think it was uh, John Patton that was, or John Williams, one of the two, both were in the um, Pacific Islands, and went over there and saw all the other small islands that needed the gospel. And he was reading in the book of Acts that um, Jesus took his disciples to different places preaching, and he said, you know what, I'm going to make a boat so I can get from one island to another. And he made a boat, and they asked him, have you ever made a boat before? And he said, nope, but i got to get to that island. And so he made a boat, and uh, he called the boat, he did a couple different boats, he called it Salvation. And I think uh, one was like a ship of hope, and you know, and he took these boats, and so he got 12 men that traveled with him, and he would go and preach the gospel on different islands, because he got a burden for them. Uh, Adoniram Judson, he started... He saw all these in his country. Uh, I, I think it was in Burma. He, you know, he was he obviously went to Burma, but um, he, he wanted to go to India. But when he got there, he saw these houses that were along the main routes, and I think they were called. Um, I mean, if you read, I, I don't remember exactly. It starts with a Z, so they were like Zadies or something like that. Um, and so he made. They were God houses. People would walk in there as they're on the trail, and they would go in and pray. Um, to these gods. They had, you know, statues and little saints, you know, different things in there. And so he made one for the real God. And people would come on and he would give them hot tea and he'd preach to them about the gospel. So like before he left, you know, I'm sure he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to start this little, but whatever comes in front of him and whatever comes to you, like use any opportunity to preach the gospel. Um, I remember one time, I, I still wish, I can't find it, but we were doing English classes, so we start passing out uh, flyers in the university, on the university campus in, in our city, in La Plata. And so we'd pass out these, uh, and people would start coming to our English classes. And after a while, someone showed me in the newspaper, there, there was two big newspapers in, in our city. They were like rivals, like a New York Times type, you know, they were the big one. And everybody you know, still read, still use newspapers. And I realize you're like, you know, all y'all are thinking like, yeah, dude, because it was like 50 years ago. No, this is like actually recent history. Um, but it was different people still to this day, you know, a lot of magazine stands, a lot of newspaper stands, and that's just the way they still roll. And um, so in the newspaper, it had an ad in the newspaper and it said, no passing out flyers on university campuses saying free English classes, North American professors. And I was like, I made it to the paper. I made it to the paper. I was so excited. I'm like, they're gunning me. You know, I'm like, thank you for all the promotion. You know, <laughs> what a blessing. The thing was, find whatever works in your area. And there's going to be a little thing. You're like, I don't know if this will work. Try it. You know, and Nate is looking for the opportunities in front of him. You can find opportunities in front of you. Even right now, you know, like maybe somebody's not doing, you know, whatever it is. Try it. You know, it might work. All right. Anybody have a question uh, for Nate? We're going to go a couple more minutes and then we're going to take our break. Anybody else? we got seven minutes. We're going to take our break. Anybody? So Nate's plans when he gets there. All of us, um, I read a long time ago, a growing ministry is always in transition. In other words... Um, 
as ministry grows, God puts something else in front of you. Let me say it like this. As your family grows, you know, you when you get married, your life is going to change. That's not bad. Life is about exchanges. You know, you say, well, if I get a spouse, I'm not going to be flirting with other people. Or, you know, now that I have kids, I, you know, I can't do as much as, you know, maybe before, just after church or what, or now that I... Life changes. It's okay. You're exchanging things for good. Well, um, as ministry grows, you know, Nate's got certain goals now. Maybe when he gets over there, he's like, man, there's all these opportunities. I'm going to try them. And don't be afraid. You have to learn to be flexible. Um, anybody know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Have you ever heard that name? Okay, she was, um, I just finished her biography. Um, I was on a road trip last week, and so um, I was able to listen to several books. And she, as a, I think, 17 years old, she was diving, and she dove into this, uh, into the ocean, and it was shallow. And when she hit it, she said, I felt immediate something go, you know, like this shock in my body. And she said, I heard my sister crying, saying, um, Johnny, come here. And she said, I heard her, but I couldn't move. She said, I could, I could move my head, but my body didn't move. Anyway, her whole life is now God's used her in a great way. She's paralyzed. Her head, I guess, um, she's like, I don't remember all the different things, but she's paralyzed, you know, her spinal cord and everything, so she can't move anything, just her head. And a lot of things happened, and she would get bitter, and she'd get mad and say, God, but why? Lord, I mean, all these, you know, I, I, and she would say, if I never would have, uh, you know, dove on that day, or if I didn't go to the beach that day, it wouldn't have happened to me. Or, and she goes through all these scenarios, and she said that she's in the hospital, and she, you know, she talks about being in the hospital and how she only had two positions. They would turn her over on the gurney, the um, doctor would touch her leg, say, do you feel that? Do you feel that? She said, I couldn't feel anything. And so the doctor would turn her on the gurney, and all she could do is look straight up. And she couldn't, I mean, she could move her eyes, but she couldn't look down. She couldn't move her head to see somebody. And then the doctor, every once in a while, the doctor would flip her up, upside down, and she would look at the floor. And those were the two positions for weeks upon weeks and months as they would try to do, you know, she had bed sores. And because she was paralyzed, um, they would just cut her open and, you know, clean out bones, different things. And she said, I couldn't feel anything. I mean, just craziest, but here's something that stuck out the, the whole thing. She said, I don't remember exactly how she said it. But she said, if you trust God, that God is in control, then nothing can take you by surprise. In other words, it was not an accident that what happened to her. And we go through trials or things in our life and we're like, but God, why? So it's not our necessarily, and let me say it this way, um, you may never understand the why of a whole lot of things in life, but you still have to obey. God never explained to Job. God may never explain to you certain, you know, why you have a sickness or why this happens in your family or why this, you know, whatever it is, but you still have to obey God. And the devil will try to deter and distract you from a lot of the service of God. And, and she wrote this book in all about a sweet attitude. And she has this great, and now she's written many, many books, and she cannot write. So she she paints and she writes with her mouth, putting a pencil, and she said the first time her dad said, Sweetie, I want you to, I want you to paint, I want you to write. And she said, uh, I can't, I can't move anything. 
He said, try with your mouth. And she said, no, that's below me. And she finally got a paintbrush and she started painting with her mouth. And like God began to use it. And then she started writing and she's got all kinds of books. I just read two of them. Amazing. But the whole thing was, whatever God sends my way, it's not an accident. I'm going to keep moving forward. Whatever God sends your way, you know, sicknesses may happen. Problems may occur. You know, uh, this, you know, a, a problem happens in your church or a problem happens on the mission field or you don't get that. God didn't, you know, it didn't come by surprise to God. He allowed it to happen. Um, one of my favorite that God has used, I enjoy, and I, I probably share with you, this might seem weird, but I love to see storms. And it kind of freaks my wife out because when it wind's blowing and, you know, it's lightning outside, I'll go sit outside and I love to see it. And my wife's like, come in, come in. I'm like, you know, if the lightning, if you're afraid lightning getting me on the porch, I'm pretty sure it can go through the roof too. You know, like we don't really have that. That shouldn't be our concern. But anyway, she doesn't like it. I like it. I don't remember if it's, uh, it, it's throughout the gospel accounts, but what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? God is in control of the storm. And in our lives, many times we're like, why God? Or maybe I should switch this. God is in control. We might not like, but we have to learn to accept. Right? Um, I tell my, my younger kids, I'm like, hey, pick up your shoes. My son has a habit. Like he walks in the house and he thinks that his, you know, clothes bin is the entire house. Like, I mean, he flings off, he, he walks around, he walks out with the, without a t-shirt, you know, like, yeah, I mean, he thinks that life is, you know, shirts are made to hang up, you know, not to use. And so like, he's, he walks in the house and he throws his t-shirt here and his shoes go there and his socks go there. And I'm like, buddy, pick them up. He's like, I will. And I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't say do it late. I said now, like, but dad, you know, I'm going to go outside. Like, no, now. He's like, but why? I'm like, you don't have to like what I told you, but you'll have to do it. You might not like everything that God sends your way, but you still got to move forward. So whatever God sends your way, realize God is still in control. And so if God moves your plan, be flexible. If, if God changes, if God sets in front of you, amen, take it. You know, I think uh, Nate's going to have wonderful opportunity. He's got goals. He's going to have more. He's going to see more clearly. God's going to put things in front. Take them. And whatever God sends your way, students, missionaries, whatever, whatever God sends your way, accept it as from the Lord. And move forward. Don't let anything stop you. And that Johnny Erickson Tata, she had to come to the point was, God, why? And she asked all these questions, got very bitter. And she finally said, all right, I accept it as it, if it was from the Lord. And now she writes these different books. She said, I would never be able to do this ministry if God would not have done this to me. That's not, I don't think God's out to get anybody, but God allows different things, and we may never know why, but you can still move forward for God. Don't ever forget that. All right. Um, okay. Let's. Well, I wrote this, uh, and I hope that this helps, but it's just how to deal with stress, especially during cultural adaptation. Uh, there's a lot of stress, a lot of things that are going to go wrong, uh, and I just wrote a compilation of different things, and I, uh, I'll just go, start going through it, uh, but... Uh, culture shock is really just like selfishness. Uh, that's really what it is. It's, and that stress comes from culture shock when things don't go according to our plan or our way. 
Anxiety is not believing Christ is in control. Overthinking comes because of a lack of belief in the Lord. Uh, and so uh, with that being said, as uh, Nate said as well, uh, he mentioned this, but life is tough. Uh, get a helmet. Uh, but with that being said, uh, the goal is never to just uh, push through and think that you can do it yourself. Uh, you do need to have a thick coat of skin, but do not bottle up the stress. Uh, how many of you guys know Mario, like the ga- the, the video game Mario? How many, how many of you guys don't know Mario? Okay, good. Everybody knows it. Well, I remember moving into Mark and Amy Coffey's household, and uh, I brought a game, a very new game, Mario Party 8. It was whenever it first came out on the Wii. It's like this little map, uh, but Mario is playing these different arcade games with a bunch of different people. And go figure, my little sister Emily took it and uh, in the, the scene. Uh, we're talking about you now. But as Mario Party 8, the CD was in the video game, she took it and she just kept pressing and she just kept pressing it and uh, circling it. So it had this giant indention of a circle on the back and it stopped working. But on the game, there was a guy named Bowser. Uh, Bowser's the bad guy in the game. But every time you landed on a Bowser space, uh, there was a Bowser like uh, shape, and there would be a little thing of water that would go up a little, and it would rise more and rise more and rise more every time you landed on it. And as soon as you landed on it the last time, and it, you bottled basically bottled up the Bowser uh, things, uh, the monster would come out, and you'd have to fight him. Basically, is what happened. Uh, but that's gonna that really is what's gonna happen in life if we bottle up our stress. If you bottle up your stress, uh, you're gonna, it's going to continue to just rise and rise and rise until you see the devil come out of you. Uh, and the same thing happens for your wife. If you continue to push your wife into stressful situations, uh, you might see the devil come out of her. Uh, don't bottle up stress in your wife and don't cause your wife to stress either. Don't cause uh, stressful situations. Uh, but I've got, I've got a bunch of quotes about stress that I want you guys to listen to. Uh, by the way, my wife is perfect, so she never stresses out. I'm just talking about y'all's wives uh, so and your spouses. Uh, but here's some quotes for you guys. The first one is, why stress about life problems? It's not like stress ever solved anything. Maybe we should all just stress a little harder. That should fix it all. Um, <laughs> another one is, stress doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. So focus on what you can control and let go of the rest. Yeah. Next one is worrying is like a rocking chair. Right. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Instead of stressing, focus on productive actions and solutions. Uh, stress is the enemy of creativity and productivity. Don't let it steal your joy and in innovation. Embrace challenges as opportunities to learn and grow. The next one, stress is often a result of overthinking the future. Remember, the the best way to predict your future is to create it. Take small, purposeful steps today. And this last one uh, was one of my favorites. I think that uh, we've said it before, but life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Choose calmness over chaos and you'll find solutions where others see problems. You see, stress is not something that happens to us. It's a reaction. 
We can either choose to be stressed or we can choose to trust in the Lord. Uh, so stress is a choice. If you say, man, I'm just so stressed, that's because you choose to stress to the reaction or to the actions that have taken place. Uh, and it really is, especially during cultural adaptation, about perception. Uh, it's about how you think of the thing, uh, the situations. Bad things are going to happen. And um, I have an example for you guys. It's like clowns. You know, some people look at clowns and they say, these things are funny. I mean, that's why they were created. That's why they're in the world. But other people are like, these things are the freakiest things in the world. Like, I hate these things. Anytime I see a clown, I don't want to see it. I don't want to be around it. And, uh, uh, well, whether you, you perceive it as something gross or bad or horrifying or something funny, that's not going to change how many clowns are in the world. So you might as well look at it as something that's good uh, because it's one person who thinks it's funny is going to live with a little bit more joy and somebody's going to live with a little bit more hate and fear. Uh, and this is a simple, simple example, but how we perceive things in life, that is how we're going to go about looking at life and how we're going to live. Some people are going to live with a little bit more joy, a little bit more uh, easygoing life, and other people are going to live with a little bit more stress. And so... Uh, just your perception creates either more joy or disgust in life. Uh, and so uh, then I have a, a couple of verses that I want to just read to you guys. And if you guys could help me. Somebody, uh, uh, Noah, can you get uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Cherry, can you get Psalm 55, 22? Luke, can you get Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30? Audrey, can you get Isaiah 41, 10? Um, Darcy, can you get 1 Peter 5, 7? Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, but do you have Philippians? Yeah, go ahead and read that. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing. Uh, the reason we can do that is because of who is in control. When we realize who is in control, there's not really much to stress about. I mean, God is our Heavenly Father who loves us as, as we are His children. Uh, we, we can be careful for nothing, but instead just bring it to, to the Lord in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Just make those uh, requests known to God. There's going to be bad things that happen in our lives. There's going to be tough things. Uh, get a helmet and just go to the Lord. And give it all to him. The next verse. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. Same thing. Next verse. Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you labor, and you labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Man, in culture shock, whenever you're going through all of these little things in life, if you just continue to bottle it up, then truth be told, that's why a lot of people leave the mission field that I've spoken to, at least in my personal experience. Uh, it's because people bottle things up, and it's all the little things that cause them uh, to stress. And that stress causes tension in the, the marriage, and it causes tension in the ministry. Uh, but whenever you bring those things to God and you truly give it to the Lord, uh, and, and you call upon him, he can give you that rest that you need. Uh, so uh, go through that. Isaiah 41, 11, or, or 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do 
have this big dismay for our angry God. I will strengthen you, yea, I will help you, yea, I will hold you up with my right hand, with the right hand of my righteousness. Do you guys remember being like a, a kid and being like afraid of the dark or afraid of something? And then uh, all of a sudden your, your mom or dad comes in the room and all that fear goes away. Uh, I remember doing that uh, whenever I was afraid of the dark. But that's really what the Lord is. He's always with us. Uh, so there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to go about life stressed. Uh, be not dismayed because he is God. And with that, uh, he's almighty. There's so many names that we could call him. But he will give you the strength that you need uh, should you ask for it. And the wisdom that you need should you ask for it. And then First uh, Peter 5, 7. Cast your whole care upon him, for he cares for you. Not only do you cast your care upon him, but he, he cares for you enough to help you. Uh, he just he wants us to be dependent upon him. And so I've got I've got a bunch of other verses. If you can go throughout the Bible, uh, God really wants us to depend on him because he knows that we can't we can't handle the stress ourselves. Um, so number one is God is the God of all comfort. Uh, the second thing is God is uh, the comfort in our afflictions. Um, I think Second Corinthians one four. Uh, he just continues by highlighting a purpose in the comfort we receive from God. Uh, I think it says, Second uh, Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in many trouble, by the comfort wherein we ourselves are comforted of God. Uh, you see, God is the God of all comfort. He, he's a comfort in our trials. Uh, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Uh, you know, there's no special formula to, uh, to uh, like, secret recipe on how to deal with stress. It's very simple. Go to God, give it to him, and if you truly trust in him, uh, then you're... you're your stress levels are going to, to, to release and they're going to drop. So when it comes to stress, you got two choices. You can either stress or not stress. Uh, but understand that God is in control and that you can give, he can give you comfort. You don't have to continue in a state of stress. You don't have to continue in that state of culture shock. Uh, because you can give it to God. You can stop thinking about yourself. Stop being selfish in your actions and in your ways. Stop being uh, a, an old dog who can't uh, learn new tricks. And instead of that, uh, start start being more relaxed and more, um, I guess, easygoing would be the word. Uh, and there's biblical principles to that. Uh, but also, I want to just mention there are physical things that we can do to relieve stress as well. Uh, because there's science behind it about uh, dopamine levels and all that stuff. But uh, the science between physical things or practical things that reduce stress. Uh, the way you eat, uh, the amount of exercise that you have, the talks that you have with your mentors, not bottling it up. Uh, so go ahead and do those things. If you say, man, I, I hate stress, uh, well, then look at your diet. Look at how much you're exercising. Uh, look at all these practical things in your life along with uh, giving it to God. Uh, but adaptation is not about losing yourself. It's about expanding yourself. 
So let the challenges of the new culture mold you, not stress you. Amen. And that's it. Amen. Anybody have a question? Besides playing soccer, because that's something that Uh, that's I, I mentioned talking to your mentors about things. Uh, many times we we blow up things in our mind, and uh, that causes us to really overthink and over worry about things. And whenever we just talk to our mentors, uh, get advice from them, a lot of times, at least with me, whenever I, I tell them my problem, and I, I, I tell the Lord my problems, uh, it's almost like uh, like it, some of that goes away. Uh, other than that, my wife loves taking walks. Uh, you can do uh, yoga. Uh, any physical activity really does help reduce stress. Uh, I think Brother Jeff plays pickleball and uh, lets his son beat him. I just do goat yoga as well. He does. Be careful with yoga, though. It's your mom. Stretching, stretching, stretching. But you can take take walks. I mean, everybody has a different thing that they do. Some people go just drive and talk to the Lord. Uh, some people uh, play FIFA. Um, you know, I mean, there's just so many things. Just find your niche that helps you. Uh, as everybody looks at Ben Zomko. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it really just, it, it's a personality thing. Whatever works for you. Some people read um, you know, each of us have a um, each of us have a, a, a toolbox given by God, right? And you have to be wise enough to use the tools in the toolbox. In other words, um, we got a water leak out here, and uh, you know, some people just got here to try to fix it. You know, if, if I was to go out there and try to, you know, I don't know, uh, grab my hands and open up a pipe or you know do something like. It's not going to work. My hand's not going to let me. You have to have the appropriate tools, right? And so you want to get through stress. Well, God has already given you tools. Maybe it's friends that you can talk to. Maybe it's an activity that you can do. Maybe it's songs that you can sing. Maybe it's reminding yourself. And I, I agree as Chase. There are different things that fit your personality that don't fit others. And that's okay. You know, for some people, uh, should you read your Bible? You better believe it. Should you talk to God? You better believe it. But Maybe at that time, if you just open your Bible and read, you might get frustrated. So maybe you turn on the music and that helps you kind of get out of that funk. Or maybe you go play a sport and that, you know, helps you maybe take that walk and you talk to God and say, God, I need you. Lord, what's going on? And, and those Psalms, many of the Psalms, they start off with David saying, uh, where are you, Lord? Why am I cast down, O my soul? What's going on, God? And then he ends the song saying, I will forever praise you. He had to get through some things emotionally. And you do too. What has God given you in that toolbox to help you? And so be wise enough to apply whatever tool is needed at that time for that moment. It's not always the same. It doesn't have to be the same. What helps you? You know, there's a danger in taking other people's prescription. Right? Uh, because, you know, just because you have a headache and they have a headache, well, it might be different. Or because you feel bad and they feel bad, it might be something different. You don't take other people's prescriptions. you got to be careful about that. Well, what might help me might help you, but it might not. 
Nevertheless, our goal is both of us want to get out of that funk so that we can serve the Lord. Because when you're discouraged, do you want to pass out tracts? Do you want to read your Bible? Do you want to preach the gospel? Do you want to see? No, none of us do. So what do you have to do to get out of that so that you can? By the way, when you get to the mission field, you are your own boss. And at the same time, you are your own encourager. So David, 1 Samuel chapter 30, he encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that mean? The Bible really doesn't say. I want to say, I think, because of other passages, it might mean that David, you know, went back in his mind and said, Lord, I remember being out with the sheep, and I remember singing to you, God, and you just flooded my soul with joy. God, if I sing again, maybe that'll happen. God, I remember when the lion and the bear came, God, and I can trust you, God. I'm going to trust you again. God, I remember you helped me through, though I walked through the valley of shadow of death. God, you gave me that. I need, Lord, I need you again. Whatever he did, he went away, and when he came back to the, the mighty men, he said, all right, gentlemen, time to go. And by the way, read 1 Samuel 30. When he went, he got everybody, everybody was discouraged. He got those guys. He went forward. He took back all, you know, wives, children, animals, everything they had, and plundered even more. In other words, as Peter, he the devil shook him, but he came back, as the Lord told him he would, you'll come back stronger. You can go through discouragement or emotional hard times, and you could come back stronger. You don't have to be weaker. You say, it chipped away at me and so on. According to God, and even Peter's example, the Lord said, I'm praying for you. You'll come back stronger. Peter came back and he preached to 3,000. I'd say that's stronger. You can get out. Discouragement is not a place you have to live. It's a state in which you pass through. But do not set up camp. You determine if you're going to stay there. God's given you the tools to get out. Get out. I tell people in Argentina, um, do not say they'd say, Pastor, the, uh, the, the, the doctor told me I have to I have to be on bed rest for three months. And I was like, don't do it. I'm like, what are you, a doctor? And I'm like, nope, but I can tell you, don't do it. Like, you know, like, uh, if you need to rest, do rest, but go sit outside. Call somebody. If you turn the lights off and stay in the same room, the same four walls, you will not only get discouraged, you'll go down and down and down and down. So you're ready to go crazy. And then you're saying, Doc, I need more pills. I need something stronger. I can't handle this. Get out, breathe the air, listen to the birds, talk to somebody, read something. Like It does me good to read about Johnny Erickson Tata. You know why? Because you're like, Lord, my life is hard. And you're like, snap, my life's not hard at all. Mm -hmm. It does me good to listen to, I just listened to uh, a book that's called Son of Hamas. Hamas, the ones that are taking people captive, one of the leaders of Hamas, his son, when this was created, when Hamas was created, his son eventually gets saved. And he now lives in California. He's a born-again believer, and he tells the story about Hamas. And that guy, he talks about them picking him up, beating him up, you know, taking him to Israeli prison, and, and even the, the, the Hamas leaders, the, the terrorists, they beat him up. And, like, I'm like, Lord, I thought I had a rough day. And you're like, I got a, I got a cold. This guy's, like, in jail getting beat up. You're like, oh, my life's not that bad. <laughs> You're like, snap. You know? So 
Learn, when you're going through a hard time, you don't have to stay there. And I, I truly do believe this, uh, life is a choice. Nobody can make you angry. You choose to be angry. Nobody can make you bitter. You choose to be. Nobody can make you stressed out. You choose to be. Nobody can make you listen to gossip. You choose it. Nobody can make you talk bad. You choose it. Nobody can, whatever you say. Nobody can steal your joy unless you love it. Like, you choose. And so, by the way, when gossip comes your way, because, you know, and it comes in all kinds of forms. When I was on the mission field, they'd be like, Pastor, I have a prayer request. And it was like a total gossip session. You're like, pray for, I remember one time, I was like, pray for my, my husband because he's bad with money and he's not really a good leader and all this. And her husband was sitting next to her. <laughs> and I was like, this is awkward. Like, what in the world? You know, there's, my opinion, there's three different ways of getting out of gossip. One, make an excuse and lightly get away. Like, uh, ah, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, hey, I was thinking maybe we can go outside and change the subject. That's the lightest and easiest way to get out. Secondly, just say, uh, no, I mean, more a little bit purposeful, like, hey, let's not talk about that. Don't worry about it. Like, there's nothing we can do, you know. I mean, just get, no, don't do that. Third, you can be more abrupt. Like, uh, you know what? We need to pray for him. Let me tell you, there is nothing that will throw water on a fire like when you mention God in the middle of a gossip session. Like, you know, hey, we need to pray about that because, boy, the devil's trying to attack. Let, let's pray that God bless us. I mean, it squinches that up. Um, Proverbs, I'm pretty sure it's 26, but um, when he talks about the talebearer, which is gossip, he said, um, without fire, excuse me, without wood, there is no fire. And where there is where there's no talebearer, the strife, the problem, the discussion, the argument, the strife ceases. So instead of adding wood to the fire, how about adding a bowl of water? I have a, a friend who was in Argentina, he was up north, um, and he was such a man of God. I mean, so humble. And this is not a lie. He used to do this. He would say, uh, he told me, and uh, he's so humble. And, and somebody would say, uh, you know, Brother Larry, uh, you know, that, that guy, he's, he's doing, and he would look at him. This is not a lie. He would look at him, and he would extend his arm, and he'd say, you know, let's pray for that brother. He probably needs prayer right now. And he said, every time he did that, everybody stopped talking like, uh, uh, um, okay, <laughs> like, you don't know how to take it. You could do it the light way and change the subject. You could do it the stronger way and say, we don't need to do that. You could do it the real, you know, com confrontational way and say, let's pray about it. But you don't have to listen. Here's the point. Whatever comes your way, you do not have to let it hijack you and take over the plane. Whether it's your joy, whether it's your attitude. So stress comes in your life. You know, life is a it is a pressure cooker. And when you're under pressure, buddy, something's going to blow. You know, you see those pressure cookers? You know, you, you, you pull up the little knob there and it, you know, sprays out all the... Uh, if you don't, if you try to take it off, you know, it'll blow up. You can't take the lid off with all that pressure. That's what our life's like. But you can choose, Chase gave you phenomenal advice and verses, and you can choose to say, you know what? I'm taking this to the Lord. You know, God, I need your right hand right now. You know, God, I need your help right now. And that's what he's there. God wants to help you. He's not to abandon you. Quit trying to carry it all on your shoulders. 
Right? He never, you weren't meant to carry that on your shoulders. I would tell Mindy quite a bit, sweetie, don't worry about that. You give it to me. My shoulders are a lot bigger than yours. Guess whose shoulders are bigger than mine? Both of y'all. But God's is bigger than all of ours. And he said, why don't you give that one to me? Because that's all you care about, because he cared for you. You don't have to worry about that. I try to remove stress from my wife by helping her. But God tells me, why don't you give it to me? Because I can help you. Quit trying to carry it all on your own. You know what I mean? You could, like, sometimes things are so foggy we don't know. Man, we've all been there, right? In all kinds of ways. God, I don't see a way out. God, it's impossible. You know, my God loves to work in impossible situations. Yeah. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He's like, oh, you're in a corner? You remember Israel? Like, God, there's a mountain on the right and a mountain on the left and the Red Sea in front of us and the Egyptians behind us and they're coming fast. And the Lord said, stand still and watch the salvation of our God. And then Moses said, but God, he said, why did the knee for? Stretch out the, the rod. And God says, I love doing this. Boom, he opens it wide up and everybody goes right through and God can open, uh, what is that song? God will make a way, uh, it's in Spanish, um, where, where it seems that there's no way. And you know what? God wants to make a way for you. Right over that water, right through that situation, like, give it over to God. You say, I can't. My, this is what's happening in my life. I guarantee God can handle that. You don't have to let that stress take you down. You don't have to let those problems take you down. Choose God. It's better than stress. It's a good, I mean, Lord is way better than stress. Right? Anybody have a question for Chase? That was phenomenal. Chase, I appreciate that. Uh, or Chase or for Ashley. Anybody have a question? A comment? I have a question for Ashley. Go for it. So, and, and repeat um, if you don't mind asking a question. So my question is, what are uh, some instances where you I'm sure you did. <laughs> so, and, and being married, so what were some things that you did, um, either being married, like how did y'all work together through that, and, and how did y'all work to be more central? And then your personal, personal too. So, how we dealt like with stressful situations, and especially just with our marriage, obviously, it affects the both of you, and it affects us in different ways. And we handle stress in very different ways. And I'm learning a lot from my husband about how to deal with things. But one thing that we did that we are still trying to implement that really helped me to kind of just know I could, okay, just breathe, was we do take a day off, which is really nice. Um, it's a little bit different because we don't have kids. So, you know, we don't necessarily treat it. We treat it like a family day, but we can more so do things that we need to do. So I knew that was my day to read a book or to go on a really long walk or something like that. Um, and I think just knowing that that time was set apart for us to spend together, we also try to do a date on that night um, and just talk through things. Miss Rebecca said this last week, Miss Rebecca Anderson, you have to, you're never going to get anywhere with really with the Lord or with people if you do not learn how to express yourself um, and praise God. The Lord doesn't need us to be perfect at expressing ourselves. Um, but I think in our marriage, just learning how to talk through things in a way that is beneficial, um, in a way that 
is going to yield solutions rather than just, this is my problem, I want you to fix it. Uh, Because that's a lot of what I do is I just am like, fix it or listen. Um, But I wasn't willing to take the advice and to actually make the changes. Um, And that's something that I'm really learning now, kind of stepping out of that stressful situation and being here. And I know that's probably one of the reasons the Lord has us here is because I need to fix my attitude. But um, stepping out of it and just gaining that eternal perspective. Um, And like my husband said, taking away that selfishness. So he's constantly reminding me, why are we doing this? Why are we here? We're here to glorify God. We're here to see people saved. We're here to watch eternities be transformed. And when you start to put things in that perspective, you know, the electricity going out means nothing when you're looking at things in the face of eternity. But it definitely it definitely is. I mean, I would say take that time and talk through things and know yourself and know how you can express yourself and then just be willing to listen to the advice given to you and actually willing to do it. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. Good. Very good. Good question. Good answer. Anybody else? You know, stress out the way of, is, is one of the ways that it can steal your joy. There's a lot of things that the devil uses to steal your joy. Um, it doesn't have to do that. Choose that you're going to, you know, not allow it to. Um, I told you this, but there was a, uh, uh, well, I don't remember, I, I, uh, I don't remember what preacher is in Obviously, um, older, not, not not here, this is just a biography. But he said, um, a, a guy got up, a young man got up to preach, and he preached a message, and they said, man, that was good. And this is what the, the old preacher said. He said it was. And after God sends him through some heartache and trials, he'll be a great preacher. <laughs> God uses things to mold us and to make us, not to destroy us. God's not out to hurt you. But God allows things, you know, what is our, even in grief, uh, what is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we weep not as those who have no hope. Nothing wrong with weep. We do weep, but not as those that have no hope. So there's nothing wrong with with grief. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, crying. There's nothing with a whole lot of frustration and like, why? You know, you're not going to be perfect. You know, you can't like, well, I'll never be frustrated in life and I'll never be. No, not that. But those things that God allows in your life are to cause you to get closer to God, not run further from God. And we choose that. I remember in Argentina many times when someone go through a hard time, the first thing they did was walk away from church. And I'm like, the thing that you need the most is to be around God's people here and God's teaching. And the devil kind of tricks us. And we might say, I understand that. But many times we do the same thing. God sends something, we're like, I don't understand. Why is this happening? I want to serve God. This makes no sense. And we get frustrated. Don't allow them. God wants to build you, not destroy you. And so let him, right? Let those things, um, let that grief cause you to go more to the Lord. Let those hard times cause you to depend more upon the Lord. There will come a time, uh, Chase mentioned 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 3 and 4. It's a beautiful, uh, that, that verse has so many lessons in it. He says, the God of all comfort, I don't remember, I'm not reading it exactly, but the God of all comfort, 
Who comforts you? By the way, you cannot be, you don't need comfort if you haven't went through a hard time. Correct? Like, I, I don't need comforted. Like, you know, when, when you fall down on the ground, you run like, ah, you know, it hurts or anything. We need comforted. Or as an adult, it's not the fall down and cry, skin my knee. As now it might just be calling somebody like, man, I'm hurting. God, I don't understand. But either way, God, who is the God of all comfort, you know, the comforter. Remember Isaiah? Yeah, it's one of his names. So the God of all comforts comforts you. So you need it. But why does he comfort you? So that you wherewith that you've been comforted can comfort others. God doesn't want your trial to go to waste. Then you determine if it's going to go to waste. You could turn around and say, you know what? I remember being in Argentina. I thought it hurt me so bad to see young kids that were sitting there, 9, 10, 11 year olds, and, and now many adults that had been abused as a little kid, that had went through hard times, that never knew dad, that like all these different things. And I look back at my life and sometimes I would complain like, God, why did this happen? God, I don't understand. It was almost like God said, you know, in my heart, I felt like God was saying, you know, those hard times you went through, maybe when you're younger, or maybe now or whatever, it's that you could help all these people. You say, I felt lonely before. Guess what? There's a world out there that feels lonely, but they don't know your father. You could help them. I feel someone, you know, deceived or hurt or like, guess what? There's a world out there and they don't know your father. Go out and help them. And unless you're further ahead, you can't help. And so get through that time of stress. You say, uh, man, it's going to be hard to finish, um, you know, the training center with my bills and with like, guess what? Chase and Ashley were in that. Guess what? T. Wayne and Mana were in that. Like, praise God that there's people. I don't know if I could raise my money for the six months. Look, there's many people who are examples. They did it. I don't know if I can learn a language. Look, this morning, there's many people who have. Like, in other words, who can help you? Those that are further along. Well, with the trial, get through it so you can turn around and help others. It's not just so that you can get a big head and say, I made it through. No, you don't realize why God helped you. Like he helped you so you help others. And so our life, you know what Lord said? I didn't come to be ministered, uh, uh, ministered to, but to minister. Not, not come to be served, but to serve, right? We are called ministers of the gospel. Simply servants is what that means. Meaning you are to serve God and you are to serve others. How can you serve others if you live in a constant funk in your life? So let's get out of it. You say, it's like no other person's problem. Of course it's not. It's unique to you. But my God is bigger than all the problems in the world. And he can help you and anybody else. So help, get through. And depend upon him so that you can turn around and help somebody else. And it's a great... Sometimes the bigger the trials, the more glory God can take out of it. I remember years ago going back to uh, the, the church where I uh, grew up, where I was saved, where I uh, surrendered to ministry. And the, uh, my 7th, 8th grade teacher, um, he, I, I finished preaching, he said, uh, Jeff, that was good. I said, well, well, thank you, sir. And he said, um, you know, I was kind of surprised. And I'm like, Thank you. Um, and he said, you know, I really thought, you, and, I, and he kept, as he kept talking, like, I really, he was getting that, I really thought you weren't going to do anything in life. You're going to end up in jail. And I'm like, 
are you trying to encourage me right now? Or like, you're trying to stomp me out, you know? Like, but the beautiful thing was, you know, I'm like, I had a hard time reading. I had a hard time through school. I went through the fourth grade three times. I didn't care about, you know, I gave teachers a hard time, a whole lot of different things. But the more that God works through, the more glory God gets. You say, I'm going through a hard time right now. That means God's got something beautiful for you. Just get through it. You're like, how am I, you as an American going to, um, you know, fully supported to a mission field. And there's a lot of people who don't have money. But guess what? You're like, I don't have any money right now as a student. Good. That's good. Because God wants to teach you something because there's a lot of people out there hurting that don't have money. I mean, you know, I feel like I don't have mom and dad. They're, they're far away. Like, good. Because there's a whole lot of people don't even know mom and dad. Like, whatever it is, like, good. And I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, let God use that so that you can help others. Right? And so that's one book. Uh, that was excellent, Chase, Ashley. Anybody have a, another question for Chase or Ashley? It's a very heavy topic. I mean, I, I think you said anxiety. It's trying to handle stuff yourself instead of giving it over to God. Like, that's a very simplified version, but it's true. Like, no, the dictionary says, I don't care what the dictionary says. It's written by a lost man. My God said, cast it all on me, baby. Like, we don't have to overthink this one. He might not have said baby, but you get the idea. Like, uh, I mean, throw it all on him. He can take care of that, right? Okay, any other questions, comments? Please. You know, this is to kind of go along with your question, but um, something that I think is very hard to learn, but very necessary, especially in ministry, is just letting people help you. And we have such, I mean, I think about this all the time, the advantages and the blessings we have here at VBM. I'm halfway across the world, but I know there's five ladies on the mission field who I can text at any time, and they are going to come to me with truth and with encouragement. Um, but a lot of times our pride gets in the way and we don't let people help us because, again, we think we can do it all by ourselves and we're not giving the Lord what he rightly deserves in our lives. But he's also given us these people to be an encouragement. Um, and I know, I think you know you're going to the right person when they come back to you with, you need to take this to God or you need to read this scripture or things of that nature. Um, but even in the little things, like one thing that I've really struggled with is having somebody help me around the house because I'm in full-time language school, but I don't like somebody else doing my laundry because I am crazy. So relinquishing that control and just being okay with letting somebody help me is something that, again, I'm still learning. But I know that if that's done, that's stress off of my shoulders where I can focus more on what now God has asked me, God has called me to be Chase's wife. And that's part of something that I do as a wife. No matter where you are in the world, you're still going to have to do laundry. Um, but if you have the opportunities to to bring people into your home and to talk with them and to have them help you, I mean, don't let your pride get in the way and just just let, let those things happen. And it takes a lot of stress off your shoulders. Anybody else? Uh, Blake, did you? I think one of the things was 
I think one of the things that's been popping up as a recurring theme in my life and just in general in ministry is the trials and stuff that like we're discussing. But when in the book that you say you want to be a missionary, this this quote stuck out to me. Don't waste your loneliness in aloneness. And I think that's twofold. First of all, with Christ and the Lord, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He's always there. And what do we do when we go through that trial and through that storm? What do we want to do? We'll stick our head in the sand and quit or stop. But, man, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's always there for us. But also, just like Ashley said, man, have a network of people and friends that you can turn to. He's given us those network of friends and people to talk to for each other, to build and edify each other. And that's one thing that's become vital for me in my life is one, trust in the Lord in those in those trials. But like he said, don't waste your loneliness in aloneness. Anybody else? Uh, all right, I'm going to ask Noah. Uh, right before Noah begins, anybody have anything else about stress and anxiety that they would like to ask? Chase um, or Ashley? Five, four, three, two. All right, Reverend Noah. All righty. Uh, let's go to Genesis 24 real quick. Genesis 24. I was just thinking about this last night, just meditating on it. Someone told me, uh, a mentor of mine named Jacob Clower, who is the man, the myth, and the legend, headed to Mozambique, he's, um, he's mentored me a lot in the faith, taught me a lot about the Bible, discipled me, and one of the things he told me to do, really good piece of advice, I'm still, I'm still, like, uh, still trying to practice it, I don't know to what extent and how rigid we need to practice this principle, but um, get a Bible verse for the big decisions in life. Get a Bible verse for big decisions in life. I think it, as a young guy, like I didn't really understand what he's talking about, but as I said, I'd make big life choices and decisions. Um, that, that principle became really prevalent and true. And um, is it, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to location, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to careers and family, get a, get a Bible verse. And I think it's it just fortifies your decisions. It's, there's so many times that we do go through question marks and Lord, what's happening? Lord, is this the right decision? Like, you start second-guessing yourself. But if you have a place to go back to and be like, no, no, this is where God spoke to me. I know that he, he, he worked in, in my personal devotions with him. I know that this is, this is what God has made clear to me. And it kind of stands as like a pillar. It kind of stands as like, a, uh, like a, a pillar and ground for the truth is what it is. And so uh, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. So we understand that. Um, and so I just want to quickly, uh, just for a second, I'm just going to share... I don't know if this will be a help to anybody, maybe more to the guys in particular, um, but uh, share how, I, how um, I decided on a spouse, how I decided on a spouse. And so um, I don't know if I've, I've shared maybe a couple, maybe Josh and other people know, but this is more just, just open, just real quick, just want to just give this to you, how I decided on a spouse and a couple things I looked for. Um, whenever Tristan and I were dating, uh, we, before I asked her to be my, before we got engaged, uh, just some things I was meditating over. Um, Genesis, I was reading through my Bible plan, right, in Genesis, and I was just struggling. I knew that I loved Tristan. I knew that she was the one I wanted to marry. I just didn't, all, obviously, as guys, you know, you're making sure, you want to make sure the, the girl that you marry is the right girl because that's going to dictate the future future of your ministry and many other things. 
And so just praying about different things, praying about, um, you know, God, would you make clear to me? I want to have a peace that surpasses understanding when it comes to this decision about finding a spouse. I've done the same practice when it comes to the mission field. Um, you know, God, do you want us in Mozambique? Do you want us to go? Uh, do you want us to stay? All these different things. But God has always used his word. He's always going to use his word. That's how he communicates with us is through, through the Bible. And so this, this passage in particular in Genesis 24, um, this, uh, this passage really spoke to my heart. And when it came to getting, getting some clarity on some things when it come to, when it came to Tristan and I and our future. And so just quickly, I want to share it with you. Obviously, you know the story. Um, Isaac is looking for, um, a wife. And in Bible times, the culture is a little bit different. We, we understand that Abraham sent out one of his servants to go find him a wife. And the servant, you know, was, was basically went up to God in verse number seven. He, um, you know, he said, you know, you, you know, my, my, my master Abraham, would you please have, Mercy on me, because of, for his sake, would you send me out? Would you have favor? Could I find a, a wife for for my master? And so, um, there's a few characteristics here that I find in Genesis 24 um, that I looked for in a spouse. And maybe some guys, if you're looking for um, a girlfriend or someone to date, some characteristics that you can find. And then, and then girls, maybe uh, I'm not I'm not teaching you directly. I'm just you can maybe hear some things and maybe jot some things down. Maybe some characteristics that. You would want to be, um, and so I'm not trying to be a male chauvinist at all, and trying to <laughs> assert this is uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. But this is just personally, okay? I'm just kind of displaying personal opinion on on how this works. So we have Abraham and, and Isaac. Isaac doesn't have much to do with the situation. Abraham and his servant does, and so let's look here quickly. Verse number 15. It came to pass uh, before he was done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born. Um, he was born of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. Verse number 16, the Bible says, And the damsel was very, uh, was, uh, very fair to look upon, a virgin neither had known any man. She went out to the well, filled her pitcher, came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they had done drinking. She hasted and emptied her pitcher into the, into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for his camels. And as I was reading this, um, I was in a, it was in a position of my life when I was going to either pursue Tristan for marriage or it was, time to, it, was, it was time to go a different direction. We were dating at a time. I said, God, is this the woman that you'd had for me? And um, clearly I saw in verse 16, I said, the damsel is fair to look upon. I said, oh, she's attractive to me. I love her. All right, she's beautiful. So that was number one. The damsel was fair to look upon. I, I said, Tristan's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And I'm attracted to her. And so there it is. Boom. Secondly, 18. And she said, drink, my Lord. So he asked, can you do me this favor? And what'd she do? She hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, not only that, she also gave the camels drink. You see what happened there in verse 20? She hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew also for his camels. Guys, you and I know that camels are not like humans. They drink and drink and drink and drink. Depending on how many camels, we know it's plural. She was probably there drawing water for a long time. And not only was she fair to, well, not only was she pretty, but she was a servant. She had a servant's heart. So that's what I saw here out of, out of, uh, Rebecca. She had a servant's heart. And, um, that was one thing I was looking for in a spouse was a, a, a lady that had a servant's heart that would be willing to serve other people. This was a stranger. She didn't know who he was. But she, she wanted to serve him. She, she, she was, uh, she had a servant's heart towards other people. And that was something I was looking for in a spouse. That's something I saw in Tristan's life. And I said, okay, well, that's wonderful. The story kind of progresses as it goes on. There's a lot of dialogue that takes place. Um, the servant goes back to Nahor's house and 
begins to explain that he was sent on this journey to find a wife, and and uh, they came. They, he stayed there for a little bit. They had, begin having some discussion. Um, it's a long, long story. We're not going to read it all. But basically, um, the servant wants to take Rebecca back to Abraham and his house to marry, and Isaac's living there, of course, as well. And so this is a this is a stranger. Of course, they find out that their family, long, long lost family. But she doesn't really know this guy. She, he's a stranger. She's never met Isaac. She's never met Abraham. She doesn't know exactly what's going on. But this conversation takes place. Right? This conversation takes place. And this is another, this is another characteristic that I found uh, as I was going through this. Look at verse number 58. And they call Rebecca. What's happening is they, they're wanting to see if Rebecca wants to go with this guy. Okay? Wants to go back to, with this guy to go marry Isaac. And um, so this is what happens, okay? They're, they're arguing about it. They're talking about it. So then they go to her directly. They go to ask her. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Um, that's huge. That's huge. This was, a, this was a, a lady that's not only beautiful, not only she had a servant's heart, but she's willing to go. By willing to go, it's really she's willing, willing to leave and cleave. That makes sense. She's willing to leave her family, her place, and cleave unto this person, her husband. That's massive, guys. That is huge. Um, with all we've been through, we just celebrated Eleni's first year birthday. And looking back, kind of reminiscing over God's faithfulness in our lives. And God, is, are we really going to still be able to go to the mission field? I promise you this. If she didn't, if Tristan did not have this characteristic in her life, we would not go to the mission field. Does that make sense? We wouldn't go. She has to be willing to go. And it's got to be a decision she has to make to say this man or this person is I, I'm submitting myself to his leadership in my life, whatever it looks like. That's that's special, guys. And guys, if you have a, a wife like that, that's special. If you have a fiance like that, that's special. And if you're looking for a woman, guys, if you're it's called to the mission field, this is a very special characteristic in a girl. She was willing to go. I mean, that's huge, because I can show you countless number of ladies that are not willing to go. That makes sense. They don't have this attitude. They don't have an attitude of surrender. It's an attitude of surrender. Uh, not only she, she was pretty, not only did she have a heart of service, but she had a heart of surrender. And that's a really beautiful characteristic. And it's something we see in the Bible. I mean, how are we going to argue with Scripture? And I know the culture is a little bit different, the context is a little bit different. But for me, as a young man looking at like my future wife, this was massive for me. Holy Spirit just struck me in the heart and said, if you've got a woman that is so willing to go and be who, who God wants y'all to be together, it's a special thing. It's a very special thing. And so um, the servant's heart, the surrendered spirit, and then as I continue reading in 24, uh, basically what happens is uh, she goes. She goes with him, right? She just surrenders her will, goes to Isaac, this man she doesn't know, and um, they go, look at verse number 61, and Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. The servant took Rebekah and went his way. Isaac came from the way. He dwelt in the south country. Isaac went out to meditate in the field, and eventide he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels are coming. We're coming, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the, the servant, What man is this that walked into the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. It's your husband, right? Therefore she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. He loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
Um, not only was she, did she have a surrendered spirit, but she was, she was one that's going to comfort him the rest of his life. She comforted him the rest of his life. And that's what Isaac needed. He needed a help me. Does that make sense? His mother had passed away. He needed some comfort. He needed, uh, he needed another person in his life to help comfort him and to help um, be who this, this emptiness at this, at this point in his life. And that was Rebecca for him. And so the fourth characteristic that I found in my wife was a, a lady that's going to comfort me the rest of my days. A lady that I, that I know that I can love her and she's going to love me. And we can, be, we can be one together for the rest of our days and be found comfort in one another in this temporary life. Right? This life is so temporary. Marriage is not eternal. Jesus made that very clear. It's not going to last forever. But we do have 50 years on this earth left to maybe 60, maybe 70, depending on how much we have, to live together and to comfort one another. And this is a, this is a principle we find in, in Genesis 24 of, of your future spouse and yourself. You're going to comfort one another all the days of your life. And so as, as we're looking, this is just quick, and I don't have time to really dive into all the details. But when I was reading Genesis 24, I probably spent afterwards several, several, a lot of time in prayer over this passage. And then I just was resolved. I said, God, I know that this is what you want me to do. I was able to move forward with the decision. And anytime we, we get into um, you know, moments of frustration or, or um, arguments in our marriage, I can go back to a pillar and say, this is where God spoke to me. This is, I know that these points, I know this is what God has told me when I was in a crucial point in my life to where I was looking for a spouse. And so I go back to Genesis 24, uh, and it reminds me, I was just meditating on it even another day, and just thanking God, saying, God, thank you for your word. Because without your word, I don't know if I would have married Tristan. I really don't. If I wouldn't have the confirmation of God is in this. If God's not in this, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't know. We all have that mentality, right? We want God to be in what we're doing. And so this is the chapter for me that's very special. I'm not saying it has to be something similar in your own life. But I do think, uh, meditate on it, think about it, and think about some characteristics that you're looking for in a spouse, guys, of like what are some, what are some areas that, um, you know, that are going to be stuff that's going to be lasting. Not only was she pretty, that was the first thing. Of course she was pretty, but there's so many things. Uh, beauty is vain, right? That's what Proverbs makes clear. And um, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so we don't just go for beauty, right? If she was just pretty, but she didn't serve, and she wouldn't have a surrender spirit, and she didn't comfort Jake, uh, Isaac, then she was just pretty. Does that make sense? She was, a, she was a woman that Proverbs is talking about. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. It's great that she's pretty, but there's so many other characteristics in her life that need to be there in order for a fruitful marriage. And I'm not speaking from a fruitful marriage. We've only been married three and a half years. Like, we're rookies at this thing. But I just wanted to share it with you. Um, that's that's kind of how how um, one of the one of the... I guess the blueprints for how I found my spouse, how I found my, my, my life mate, and uh, very thankful to the Lord for her. And so this is one of the passages that just come back to, um, and some characteristics of Brother Jeff. That's good. Anybody have a question or a comment uh, they would like to ask Noah about this? I think it's a phenomenal passage, and uh, great. The, the fact that all of us need a lifeline, right? And God's word is the lifeline, and God gives us confirmation about different things. And I think you'd be wise, um, you know, who you marry will determine, you know, how far you're going to go in life, you know, your, your happiness or, um, you know, the open and closed doors for God's service. You want to marry the right one, so praise the Lord for that. Um, all right, anybody have a question towards that? All right, anybody? Okay, Evans, what? I'm sorry. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I thought you wanted to ask something. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, this wouldn't be the time to ask if there's any girls. But, uh, no, no. Um, just playing with you, buddy. <laughs> All right, anybody have a, a question or comment? Real. All right. Okay. Have a lifeline verse for every... I think that's very wise. For every decision you're going to make, you know, get confirmation of the Lord. There, you know, the Bible verse isn't going to say, marry this person, you know, or don't do this, or choose this country, you know. Uh, but God's going to give you confirmation in different ways. And you should be sensitive towards what the Holy Spirit wants, right? Throughout the uh, more the Pauline epistles, you know, we have quench not the Spirit, right? Grieve not the Holy Spirit. In other words, there are things that we can do. We want to be on the opposite spectrum of that. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, I've shared that, uh, you know, I... I was engaged. Um, obviously, I was engaged to my wife, right? But uh, I was engaged to another girl uh, before I was engaged to my wife. And I thought it was, uh, but it was this, it, for me specifically, it was that the, the willing, surrendered heart. And it's just like, I do not want to leave my family. I want to stay right here. This is where I stand. And this is my, um, and I thought we could work all around that. But you know, it felt like Lord was showing me, and I'm very grateful. And I'm, I'm I'm very grateful for God's goodness. Follow what the Lord wants, even if it doesn't make sense to everybody else. You've got at the end of the day, you're the only one standing before the Lord. Like you know, what people are gonna say or people think or like, does it matter? Like you know, I'm so far removed from that situation, but I do remember when it happened. I was threatened. She sent me letters saying, I mean, I remember sending, this girl sent me pictures and said, uh, I always, here's, here's a, a good times that we had. I know we're going to have more. And I'm like, oh man, there was nothing else. Just a bunch of pictures of us. And then she sent me a letter and said, I always thought you were a man of God and a man of God keeps his word. Mm. I know you'll keep yours. Mm. I'm like, ah, like everything I did, I was like, oh man. And then I finally said, um, you know, I just, I'm not sure if this is right. And she said, uh, it's the devil. You don't need to listen to the devil. And I'm like, what in the world? Like every time I said something, she had a good excuse, you know? And uh, I said, well, I think that we need to break up. And she said, um, well, you're going to have to call my mom and my dad. Her her parents were had been divorced. Her mom had been divorced uh, at least three or four times. And uh, she said, you're going to have to call my mom and dad and explain this to them. And I'm like, you know, I was like, well, maybe we should just stay together because I don't want to call him. You know, like I, I was scared. You know? And finally, I did call her mom. And it, it was, I, I'm i not known for the greatest tact in the world. And so I told her mom, I said, uh, well, you know how it is, not marrying the right person. So, you know, and then I, I hung up and I was like, I did, did I just really say that? Like, man, I am an idiot, you know. like, um, But here's what I will say. I'm so far removed from that, but at the moment... I thought there is no way out of this situation, but I had to follow what the Lord wanted. And you, in any area, not just this, in any area of life, you have to follow what God wants. And I think that's, um, be sensitive to God. Let him speak to you through his word. And if something throws off, and then like, you follow the Lord, man. Like, you do what's right. All right, anybody have a question, comment? We need to uh, go towards closure. Conclude that uh, the class. Anybody? Five, four, three, two. Okay.
Let me say that um, I forgot this Tuesday. My bad. But next Tuesday in the home front email, I will put um, Julie has done a lot of research on the different shirts. We're going to make a purchase order of um, uh, uh, several different things. I think there's a there's a polo shirt, long sleeve shirt. Was there a jacket? A jacket and, and a sweatshirt. Is that what the other? So there's four different articles there and it has she sent it to me i'll send that in the uh the home front email we'll be making that purchase order here in a couple of weeks it's got you know the different items and the colors of it and, you know what it'll be so um you could look at those different things and if you would like to have something and you could reply back to that we'll make a list of everything that's needed all right let's go ahead and pray we'll close and uh we'll be back next next friday the third, the, the following Friday, the 10th, um, and I'll send this out as well. Brother Wayne Cofield will be our guest speaker. And uh, Brother Wayne and Miss Connie, they've, I mean, he started the church over 40 years ago, pastored the same church, been through a lot. God's blessed him. His children are in ministry. There's a lot that he could teach. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a good time. All right. So let's pray, and we will be dismissed. Luke, if you don't mind, dismissing us in prayer. Can I also? Yes. To the guys who are going to room after class. Yes. Sounds good. That's right. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's an amazing day, Lord. We have an opportunity from class, Lord, and from the different teachers you've placed in our life. Lord, I just want to say, Noah, Nate, the other people who taking time to study and to teach us something that they've learned, Lord. I pray that we would adhere to them and we would apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray that uh, you bless the rest of our days as we send those to work and ministry. Lord, we do we know as he's traveling, Lord, and uh, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, one last thing. So, yes. 645 tonight at the Coming City Center, we're doing scavenger hunt and putt putt. Um, so, it's kind of like open invite. Anybody can come. So, I think we're going to do scavenger hunt first, and then we're going to do putt putt. First place, or the lowest score in putt putt is a $20 Visa card, and then last place gets a prize as well. But that's kind of a mystery. Y'all can come out. Like I said, it's, it's not just for the students. It's kind of open invite. So, we'll just wait here, guys. We'll see either suck it up or do really good. Yeah. So, suck it up or do really good. Yeah, if you do bad, do really bad.
churches, you know? Yeah. Mega churches? That'd be a good point. Some of the bigger mega churches. Uh, and then it's uh, Yeah, we got uh, yeah, we got And I was like, oh, you Yeah.